Great to be here with you on this Friday. Kevin Thomas, Ben Troop, glad you are making us a part of your day. We are streaming live at ESPNCoastal.com on your mobile device with the ESPN app. Also, we're live streaming on Facebook, Twitter, and YouTube. You can uh, check the show out as well as all across the radio network. So no reason you can't uh, catch us here on a Friday afternoon. We've got a lot to get to. Of course, we're inside a week to go to the draft. And uh, when we come back on Monday, it's just going to be the, uh, uh, the the quick Sprint to uh, the Thursday pick. Trent Baalke has uh, had a press conference talking about the Jags and their first pick. We'll get to that. Uh, we'll talk about uh, the draft with Kyer Elam, uh, former Gators defensive back, trying to get uh, his name called in next week's uh, draft. He'll join us. Also, uh, Ben's going to sit down for Troop Talk with Darren Heitner, put together uh, something. We're, I mean, we're seeing these all over the country, but this is one that has happened uh, there at the University of Florida with the, uh, the Gator. Uh, correct me if I'm uh, wrong, Ben. It is called the... Uh, the Gator, I keep wanting to say the Shield. Gator, the, Gator, the Gator Guard. The Gator Guard. I, I, I kept wanting to say Shield, and I'm like, that's not right. The Shield is not well, right. Well, well, Kevin, I mean, it, it's, it's the Gator Guard today. It might be a Gator Shield coming <laughs> in the next few minutes. Who knows? But, I mean, just one of those things where, uh, you know, we're, we're seeing him. Florida's doing it. And, uh, again, uh, we're seeing these pop up all over the country in regards to uh, collegiate uh, athletics and uh Teams looking to uh, support their student athletes, so we'll we'll get to that. Also, talk a little bit Braves baseball with Bud Ellis. Uh, we'll talk about this homestand coming up with the Marlins and, of course, the uh, the Chicago Cubs and how the Braves can get things going back on track. And to that end, Ben, the Braves are back at home. Had an off day yesterday, uh, trying to step some things up offensively. No Adam Duvall, no uh, Rosario in the lineup tonight. Dansby's in there, but. Uh, again, an off day on Monday if things don't go well potentially over the next couple of days. He could have uh, a night off, but uh, striking out almost half the time, not going to, uh, to to get it done. But you're back at home. The Marlins, not expected to be a great team. They're an okay team, but you're better. Uh, and you just need a good series. Braves have not won a series yet in 2022. And I know it's still young. They've only played four, but that's kind of been their mantra uh, for as long as I can remember. Bobby Cox all the way through is, look, we're not worried about the 10-mile picture. Just win, win series, two out of three, two out of three, two out of three. You do that, and uh, and you're going to be there at the end. So the Braves could certainly uh, stand to win a series starting with uh, a win tonight over the Marlins. You hope, you hope, you hope that this, uh, this uh, gets the ball rolling right, Kevin, when you think about this Marlins. And this has kind of been the Marlins and the Braves moniker uh, since uh, Snit and Asenthopolis has, you know, has been tied to the hip. The Braves kind of being a small slump, and then they try to go to the Marlins, try to get that confidence <laughs> back, try to get back to their winning ways. And the Marlins know this. The Marlins know this. Now, I will say this. What's scary about the Marlins is the Marlins are the team that everybody in the division wants to beat up on. Problem is, because they're in the division, they seem to play better against the better team. So hopefully the Braves, you know, play like the Braves and the Marlins play like the Marlins and not the other way around. But, yes, Kevin, you want a lot of things to work on right now. Like I said, I just want to see – what this Braves team, because you know how it is, Kevin. If you if this Braves team can go out there and show what they can look like, starting pitching, bullpen, lineup, DH, you gonna that will be the narrative for the next two weeks. I mean, all it takes is one great performance. Oh man, you saw you saw this, but it, but with all these bad performances back to back to back, you want to be able to say, okay, get away from it. Listen, Southern California, it don't rain down there, and obviously you can't get no dubs down there either. So for the Braves. <laughs> Get away from there. I'm happy they're back on the East Coast. They're back out here, you know, even back at home. I think that I think that this Marlins team, Kevin, is gonna play scrappy because no matter what, they are the defending World Series champs. And everybody's gonna get your best, regardless. But hopefully you get a win, and that's a trickling effect. Because, like I say, Snit, 
unfortunately for him, he has to do. He has to do. Uh, he has to do. Uh, he has to go out there and talk to the press every day, and he's running out of answers already this early in the season. But I do think Kevin, this lineup with this starting, I mean, with this lineup with this starting pitcher, with this bullpen, hopefully, hopefully they can go out there and uh, get back into get, get back in the win cup. Yeah, I would. Uh, it's a good opportunity to do that, uh, and you know, this team is better than what they've played so far. And again, it's still very, very early. I mean, you 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 look at. Uh, any two-week stretch in baseball, and I could point out who's awesome and who's terrible, right? I mean, you can look at, uh, just pick one out. If this is happening in mid-June and the Braves go 6-8, and eight, we're not even talking about it on the show. Uh, but the fact of the matter is, it's the start of the season, and you can physically look at the stats, and it's right there in front of you. Alex Dickerson's batting 070. Dansby Swanson's batting 143. If he has a stretch of 143 in June and he's batting 250, we're not saying a thing. Uh, and, and I often think you know the stuff at the beginning of the year is so magnified because you just want to get off to a good start. And oftentimes, if you look at it statistically, if you could just have a good two or three days, that kind of insulates you early from even if you go in a little slump. Like Ozzy Albies has not played particularly well, but he's still batting two eighteen. Why? Because he got off to a pretty nice little start there, and he wasn't starting out at uh, you know oh seventy and trying to get out of that thing. So. It is a grind. It is a, it's, a, it's a mountain you have to climb out of. I think the other thing, you, you feel like you have, I don't want to say wasted, because he's going to have stretches like this where he plays well, but you have not really taken full advantage of, is Matt Olson hitting 400. Matt Olson has been on fire. He's gotten on base more than anybody in the National League. Uh, and so that couldn't have, literally could not have started any better if you're Matt Olson and the Atlanta Braves. On base more than anybody in the National League uh, to, to start the season. Unfortunately, he's got two RBI, and he got them both from himself with two solo home runs. So it's like the, nobody has been on in front, or at least when they have, he hasn't been able to drive in, but he's hitting 400, and you haven't been able to. Normally, if you have a guy going that good, you would say, man, this guy's probably having a nice week driving in runs. And here we are, uh, what, two weeks in, and he's got two RBI. Now, you know that's not going to hold, and maybe some of that changes when number 13 comes back, Ben. Uh, and is batting in front of him. But right now, Ozzie Albee's not getting on base enough uh, and giving Matt Olson a chance to uh, to drive in some runs. And uh, I think that's, to me, when I say you're kind of wasting this early start, is uh, he is red hot and has, doesn't have much to show for it. And I, and I kind of akin it to, hey, Kyle Pitts had 1,000 yards as a tight end, had one touchdown. I mean, the name of the game is putting runs across the plate, right? I mean, that's yeah, that's yeah. that's the name of the game. And you're kind of using a guy that's hot and he hadn't been able to do it. I mean, uh, Kevin. I mean, I, I think. I mean, I, he's doing his best. Uh, Freddie Freeman impression, right? Freddie Freeman first come on the Braves. Wasn't much to go about unless Freddie Freeman was out there getting it done. Matt Olson, Kevin, as you mentioned, he has been lights out. I mean, he really, really has been. And I know, I know that we thought that was going to be one of the talking points, right? Matt Olson going to struggle a little bit. That hasn't been the case at all. And I just think that once again. I hope that he can keep the momentum once the rest of the bats catch fire. I hope that he don't lose that you know that zest for the you know for the for the excitement once once everybody get back around. But Matt, keep doing what you're doing. I mean, don't worry about the guys around you. When Snit is looking around the locker room, Kevin, he's going, Dansby, Ozzy, Matt, <laughs> get out my get out my line of sight, man. You you messing up you messing up the pregame right now. But Kevin, hopefully all the bats catch fire. Hopefully everybody wants to wants oh. to kind of emulate what Matt Olson does starting tonight and. Who's to, who's to say they can't they can't put you know six seven rounds up on the board? Yeah, you got a chance to do it tonight with uh, Trevor Rogers twelve fifteen ERA early on here for Miami zero and two. So if you're going to jump on a guy, this would be the guy to do it. Uh, if you're if you're Atlanta, and again 
you hope they use this homestand to kind of get some things rolling consistency. Baseball, as you said, Ben, it's, it's so much momentum. It is, hey, if you, you win three, four games in a row, all of a sudden the stuff that wasn't falling in is falling in, and you kind of can put together a better stretch. And I feel like, I'm going to say it again because I, you know, I, I honestly feel this way. The last homestand was, was, what, six, seven days of patting yourself on the back. It, it really was. And, yeah. and, and now that's, you don't need to do that anymore. Look, we, you got the World Series, first time since 95. Congratulations, Greg. Everybody got their bling. You've had plenty of time to admire it. Obviously, people wanting tickets to come in. Hey, I want to be there for the celebration. You're celebrating the Braves and, and, and Georgia. And it's, uh, you know, this guy did this. And, uh, you know, we're raising the banner in the outfield. And look how good a job we did. We got stretch. I mean, used to be like, that's opening day. And then you move on. That was a week, a week full of stuff. And then yes. you got the uh, the Freddie Freeman stuff, which again I'm not saying that's the sole reason for for the way the team played, but it certainly there was a lot more going on than show up to the ballpark and and just play baseball. And, and I think now you can kind of settle into that. And certainly with the Marlins and the Cubs, you should have some opportunities to settle in, play baseball. You don't have a lot of hey, this guy played with us for 15 years on the other. There's none of that. The only thing you got is Jorge Soler gets his ring on Saturday night. That's it. And Jorge showed up for two months. There's no sentimentality going. I was like, just play baseball, and get some wins. I just think it. I just think at the end of the day, Kevin. Listen, I always, I'll, I'm gonna say this. I get certain. I get my moves from certain people. If I walk in and you throwing your hat down, going to what? I, just, I can't deal <laughs> with. Then I'm a panic. But as long as you go, it's Not fine. Good. Now, if you come on the show and say, hey, man, uh, that's what I said yesterday, the panic button, I'm not pushing <laughs> it, but it is closer to my hand these days. As long as the panic button is not in, in reach of Kevin Thomas, we good. It's hovering. hovering right <laughs> I'm just kidding. I'm no. hovering. Yes. Hovering yeah, it's still, it's, still, it's still really, really early. we got so much to get to. What is coming up quickly? NFL draft next week. Trent Baalke has met with the media. What are the Jags going to potentially do there at number one? I uh, will talk about that. Also, Kyrie Elam set to join us at this hour. It is three and out on the Southern Pigskin Radio Network. Good to have you back here on three and out all across the Southern Pigskin Radio Network. Kevin Thomas, Ben Troop, glad you were with us. Kyrie Elam, former Florida Gator corner, will join us coming up in just a little bit. He's getting ready for the draft. Six-two cornerback, uh, looking to play at the next level. His dad played seven seasons in the NFL. His uncle Matt Elam, also a first-round draft pick in the National Football League. So we will uh, chat with him coming up in just a little bit as uh, Ben, the draft, inside a week to go here. Yeah, Kevin, it should be exciting. I think, uh, I mean, I mean, it, it, well, just yesterday, we already watched the uh, University of Georgia win the National Championship, and then you start going to, you know, the East-West Shrine Bowl and the Legacy Bowl and the Senior Bowl and the Combine and Pro Days and, and uh, you know, spring games. Now here we are. It's almost like the draft goes, I'm going to let all that stuff happen. I'm going to let the XFL, USFL, I'm going to let the Braves, I'm going to let, you know, the Masters come, all this stuff. And here we are. We will be, we will, we will be front and center stage uh, come Thursday, Friday, and Saturday of next week. But, yeah, Kevin, I'm looking forward to it. It always brings back humble memories for, you know, from a country boy like myself getting a chance to hear my name called, man, what, 19 years <laughs> ago now, I want to say it is. So I, I will say, though, to every guy that's getting ready to hear his name called, whether you draft, whether you pick number one or Mr. Irrelevant, it is a dream come true because, Kevin, 256 guys that got to wait three days to hear their mm-hmm. name, that is excruciating if you're going through it. But it's a blessing if you've had a chance to, uh, you know, actually have gone through the process of, uh, of this magnitude. And we got a little, I uh, say a glimpse, maybe we didn't get any glimpse, uh, into what the Jags are looking to do. They had a press conference today, Trent Baalke talking to the media. He says the Jags, Ben, are down to four names 
for the number one spot. All we've heard is Aiden Hutchinson. Of course, Trent Baalke apparently really likes Trayvon Walker because we've heard that a lot. And then a lot of people think maybe it's Iquanu or uh, Evan Neal, one of the tackles that could go number one. Is that the four you think maybe he's talking about? Or is there a wild card in there somewhere? I definitely think it's a wild card, Kevin. I mean, the one thing you know about these GMs, right, if 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 no media outlet has brought up a name, they're not going to bring it up. They're going to say, well, listen, if it's already out there, we'll talk about it. But you you literally got to pick it later. Kevin Thomas goes to the to the NFL draft store, and he gets to pick first. And there was a long line out there waiting. And you go, I get to pick first? Yeah, you go, ah. And sometimes, Kevin, it's almost like you don't want to look around to see what, how much variety you really have. Let me just – Keep my eyes set on the one I want, because if I get to look it around, oh, that go to Evan Neal. Oh, my goodness. That go to Trevon Walker. Oh, my goodness. That go to Kayvon Thibodeau. I, I, the one thing we do know, that they're not going to get a quarterback. We, we know that. Anything – and a running back. Anything outside of that, Kevin, it could be fair game, because I think if you got a team that's picking back-to-back number one overall picks, you ain't Atlanta, but you definitely still got a lot of holes to fill. And Trent Baalke coming out saying – I'm uh, going to get this quote here, uh, Ben. He said, I'm pretty confident this is the last time I'll be making the first pick. So either the Jags are going to be Betty or, or he's going to be fired, basically. Is what, I, what I read into uh, I read into that. But somebody did ask him about potentially trading. And he said, look, that's something that we've talked about. Uh, we'll entertain. We'll listen. Uh, but we haven't gotten any phone calls. I mean, would the Jags dare trade out of the number one pick? And again, it sounds ridiculous, but if all the draft Knicks are telling you it's pretty balanced, uh, as far as talent is concerned, would the Jags dare trade back and get somebody they really want that they feel like they could get at, you know, maybe four or five and still, I, and don't think this doesn't come into consideration sometime, not have to pay number one pick money? Absolutely. I mean, the number one pick is always up for grabs. That's what I've heard uh, from the, before my days in the NFL or definitely after my days in the NFL. Because, Kevin, I mean, let's face it, I don't want to have to pay that money if I don't have to. And, but the, but the, that's the steepest price you're gonna pay. If somebody trading out a number one pick and you picking it up, I mean they they there's somebody that's in desperate need. And the thing about this draft is, like you said, it's so deep. I think the guy you covered is gonna be there. Hopefully, uh, you know when your when your uh you know when when your team comes up to pick. But I do think that it would be it would be crazy if Jacksonville didn't entertain some of those offers. Well, I mean, and again, it's easy that we we said this about the Falcons. It's easy to say trade back, and somebody's got to make that phone call, and obviously. I would imagine nobody wants to tip their hand that they want the number one pick uh, uh, this far out, just a little bit less than a week. But, I mean, if you're following the draft boards, if you could trade back, if you're if Trent Baalke likes Trayvon Walker that much, you could trade back and still probably get it. Right? I mean, he's, he's probably not going to go number one to anybody else. It would be Hutchinson, Thibodeau, somebody, Evan Neal. You could probably still get Trayvon Walker if you move back. Well, that, that, that's let's see, Trayvon Walker, every year you got the wild card, right? He might be the wild card because I've seen a lot of my drafts that got him going number two if he don't go number one. And that's the thing. He got such – he got that huge upside. You know, he, it's so tempting. And the people go, why would you get a Trayvon Walker when he's a wild card? Because everybody in the draft is. Like, everybody in the draft is a wild card. He is the wild card because Jordan Davis and Kobe Dean, you know, and so on and so forth – I mean, those guys won awards. Trevon Walker, he, he's a freak. You're going to have that freakish athlete. So I do think, Kevin, that I think when you trade Walker, you say to yourself, if I know the guy's going to be there, I'm going to trade back. But if I'm not, I don't oh. want to find myself settling for a guy that we had maybe like 1B and not 1A. Sounds like you think he wouldn't be there if the Jags traded too far back. I, I, I just think for me, Kevin, the one guy – listen, a guy goes from what? Late first round 
top middle of the pack to potential number one, that's Joe Burrow type stuff. So I just think that when you look at how enticing he is, and he can play up and down the line, they got they got the about two hundred seventy pounds chasing freaking uh, running backs out the backfield. I just think he's too enticing, and I think Kevin, if, he, if it was anybody other than him, I think you could get him. But if he don't go number one, I don't see him going past number two. So maybe that's not. I mean, maybe that's not. It seems like Trent Baalke no, really. But that's only if Kevon Walker is their guy. He might not. He might not be. If he ain't their guy, then yeah, you trade back. If you think you can get, because it's the thing, Kevin. If they trade back to number four or five, and they get a Kayvon Thibodeau, and they get more draft picks. Now you, now you're talking about getting the guy you want without having to sacrifice anything. Yeah. I, again, and maybe Trent Baalke's trying to sell up Trayvon Walker to make number one more enticing to somebody. Uh, I don't know. Uh, but it seems like in, in all the, the conversations that we've seen, Trent Baalke's like, look, Trayvon Walker, man, he can make plays. He's really I, almost like he's scared to say I'll take him number one because Hutchinson and the DNs have been talked up so much. But, I mean, am I misreading this? But, I mean, every time you hear Trent Baalke kind of quoted somewhere, he's like, oh, man, Trayvon Walker, I, man, I, athletic, can make plays. Has a lot. I mean, I feel like the way it's going is like Trent Baalke wants Trayvon Walker and probably Doug Peterson and some other folks are going, hey, wait a minute. <laughs> I, I'm not saying they don't like him, but yeah, there's probably, yeah, the, yeah. I mean, as you said, you get in that, those draft rooms and those draft meetings, and there's a lot of people with a lot of opinions. And Trent Baalke, I mean, again, you hate to throw this out there, but if you're going to go by Trent Baalke and his history of uh, making moves, well, you might say, say Trent, I, mean, I appreciate you liking him, but we're going to go somewhere. I mean, we'll I'm just see. Saying, I mean, you are, you are what your resume says you are, right? Who else? If and I'm not calling for nobody's job. If Trent Baalke ain't, ain't working for Jacksonville. Who is he working for? <laughs> I it's be, I'm, I'm, just, I'm just saying. Just saying. I understand. So again, so Jacksonville at number one. Trent Baalke says there's four guys uh, that they're looking at at number one, and they're open to potentially trading uh, the number one pick. Of course, again, that's not necessarily news. I think every GM, if you if you came out and said no, we're not you're hamstringing yourself. If there was a potential sweetheart move out there, so. Uh, saying some of the things uh, I think you would have expected, I, uh, D- Doug Peterson kind of echoed the things like, look, we're not going to be, I think Doug Peterson went as far as said, we're not going to be picking number one again while I'm here. Uh, so you got a couple of guys stepping out. I guess it's, uh, we're either going to be fired or or, or we're, we're not going to be picking number one. And again, I think under most years, uh, Jack's get to here on the show. I think we may have gotten uh, Ben disconnected from us here for a second, but we've got Kyer Elam are waiting around the corner to, uh, to go. He's actually on that. We'll take a break right now. He will join us. Welcome back. It is three and out here on the Southern pigskin radio network, Kevin Thomas and uh, Ben Troop, I believe back with us uh, here on the show. Glad you're making us a part of your day. NFL draft coming up in less than a week. Our next guest, uh, second team, all sec in 2021 out of the university of Florida, getting ready for that NFL draft. Kyer Elam joins us here on three and out. Kyer, welcome. How are you? Well, I'm blessed. I can't complain. How are you? Hey, we're doing fantastic. Uh, what's the uh, the off season? I guess there there is no off season, but what's the uh, the lead up to the draft been like for you? I know we've had obviously folks in your family that have gone on to play the NFL. How big of a help has that been in this process leading up to draft day? Oh man, it's it's great, man. It's just I think it's a huge you know blessing for me to have my uncle and my dad who's been through the process and you know guys who they play with can help me out and uh just my role models in my life who also can help me out so i think it was advantage for myself and i try to take advantage of it and learn as much as i can and again uh you you talk about your skills how do you feel they translate to that next level 
Um, you know, I just feel like I'm a guy who has a elite ball skills, um, elite man to man coverage skills. You know, I think all around, I think there's a lot of things I, I want to clean up, but I'm just, I was more conscious of it this year. And, um, you know, I'm just, I'm excited for the next level. I'm just excited, so excited for the next level. I think I'll be a way better player as a pro than I was in college. And speak to that. You played in the SEC. I know a lot of folks talk about that as the, you know, the proving ground, getting to that next level. How do you think that has prepared you for what's, uh, what's about to come? Um, I think the SEC is the best conference in the, in the country. You know, I think uh, last was scheduled, so I think that was a big, um, big, I think, comparison to the NFL, like, helped me get adjusted to the NFL as well, just the speed of the game and the talent level and the, and the athleticism was part. Uh, but, you know, there's no other conference like the SEC, and I think uh, it prepared me and helped me translate to the next level really smoothly. 6-2, uh, big corner. How, how does that uh, that physicality uh, help you out uh, going to the next level? And uh, what's kind of uh, your thoughts on being that big, big, tall corner? Yeah, I mean, honestly, all I mean, all the intangibles and things don't mean anything unless you, unless you, and I think it's all mindset and, and, and uh, perspective. So I really feel like, you know, I just got to take, like, develop my mindset and, and impose my will more. Um, at the next level, I think, especially because me being a rookie, I need to, you know, just prove my prove every every single day, you know, that uh, I just want to be the greatest throughout every play. So that's really why I play. So I think that's I think that'll translate. A week out, uh, what what teams have you heard from? Uh, who's been kind of uh, reaching out? Who have you talked to here in this pre-draft process? Um, a lot of teams, honestly. Uh, I mean, there's no none in specific that stick out, but I think a lot of teams, you know, I've talked to a lot. Kyrie Elam joining us here on three and out, former Florida Gator uh, defensive back, and uh, you you talk about your dad playing in the NFL. What has he told you about developing your game for that for that next level? Um, everything you do is an evaluation process, you know. Um, so put your best foot forward. Everything, every every single practice and every single game as well. Um, so I know this year I played uh, I played with like three sprained ligaments in my knee, you know, and um, I didn't put up the best I didn't put up the best film of me um, being 100. percent But you know I think um, it was a learning lesson and it's something that uh, really helped me prepare for the next level as to as it's taking care of my body and also knowing how to fight back through an injury. So um, honestly, I think that's my dad is just telling me that everything is an evaluation process and you always want to put your foot, best foot forward and. Um, I think everything is a competition as well. So, but I think that's the biggest thing my dad told me. Have you kind of told that to, to teams that have talked to us? Look, I I know you're looking at tape, but uh, this is what I did last year, and I know there's better, there's more, and you know, playing through the injury situation. Have you kind of had those discussions with teams as well? Um, no, I try not to use that as an excuse. I don't think that's an excuse. You know, I feel like sure. everybody's going through something, but um. But I mean, I'm, I was really confident in how I, I'm confident and really, I would say, uh, not satisfied. But I was happy with how I played, even through, uh, through like when I came back. But it was just the game I played with it. I feel like I, I kind of um, didn't put my best foot forward. But you know, I feel like I'm really confident in my ability. You know, I've gotten a lot better this all season, um, mentally and uh, physically. And uh, I just ready to put my best foot forward and when, when I step on my next team. So, what's gonna mean to hear your name? Name called. I know as uh, as Ben had said uh, just uh, before we had some trouble with uh, with Ben getting back here, but has said, look, you, you're waiting. Some days, some folks wait, you know, five minutes. Some folks end up waiting three days. So, what's it going to mean when you hear uh, and with the whatever pick to this team, 
Kyrie Elam? Um, I mean, honestly, I'm gonna come in with that chip on my shoulder. Honestly, no matter where I go, that's um, anywhere. That's that's first round. Is that seventh round? You know, I'm gonna come in with that chip on the shoulder because I want to be the number one pick overall. Because I feel like I have immediate impact on a team um, right away. So, you know, I just want to just when I get there, I just want to just go go prove to everybody why I feel like I should have been the, the first defensive player off the board. Honestly, and um, I'm gonna prove it to everybody that uh. Not even to everybody. I'm going to prove it to myself, first and foremost. But So I can't wait. Uh, hey, absolutely. And Kyrie, is there a little friendly uh, rivalry uh, going on in the Elam family as well? Dad in the NFL, your uncle Matt Elam in there. Are you out there to be, hey, I'm going to be the best Elam that's uh, that's been out there so far? No, no, no. I don't think it's a family rivalry. I, I, knew I, I know I will, you know. And um, I think I got to learn. I got to be able to learn from their mistakes. And, and they taught me so much that they didn't know when they were my age. So I'd be really, really prepared. So I should be, I should be without a doubt the, the best Elam. But uh, my whole thing is I just want to, you know, I want to win a Super Bowl and have to wear a gold jacket one day. So, but I know I will, and I'm going to just keep working towards that and never get satisfied with what I, what I do achieve. Certainly. Uh, Kyrie Elam joining us here on 3 and Out. Kyrie, really appreciate the time. Best of luck to you as you wait out the, the next week leading up to uh, the draft, and thanks so much. Thank you. Appreciate it. Kyrie Elam joining us here on 3 and Out as, uh, again, former Florida Gators defensive back, uh, second team All SEC in 2021. As you heard him say, played with a little bit of uh, injury there uh, in 2021, but uh, try to hear his name called there. And again, dad played seven years, uh, and his uncle Matt Elam out of Florida, first round draft pick as well. So a lot of pedigree there for for Kyrie Elam moving along to the next level. We'll try to get Ben back uh, here on the program, and we'll come back with more three and out all across the Southern Pigskin Radio Network. Good to have you back here, three and out on this Friday. Kevin Thomas here with you. Thanks for making us a part of your day. Uh, again, we're efforting to get uh, Ben back here with us. Uh, coming up next hour, Ben will sit down with Darren Heitner. Uh, we will talk with him, uh, or Ben will talk with him, excuse me, about a lot of the name, image, likeness stuff that's going on around college football. We'll also chat with Bud Ellis, a little Braves baseball coming up in the final hour of the program as the Braves taking on the Miami Marlins here over the weekend. And then, Middle of next week, have a uh, three-gamer with the Chicago Cubs uh, upcoming. So we'll have that uh, conversation coming up in the final hour of the program. But you got the draft coming up in less than a week. We heard uh, Kyer Elam uh, talking there about going in the draft. Trent Baalke for the Jags coming out talking about uh, their plans, which he said, hey, we're down to four guys, four names. Uh, to go there at number one. Of course, the prevailing sentiment is it's going to be Aiden Hutchinson uh, there at the number one pick. Uh, could it be an Evan Neal, an Iquanu, uh, either one of those tackles, or could it be Trayvon Walker out of Georgia? And uh, I think Ben said yesterday if Trayvon Walker goes number one, he would be the highest drafted defensive player uh, out of the University of Georgia if he goes there. And really, uh, as I said, reading through the comments, Trent Baalke loves Tray- Traylon Walker. Every kind of time you hear him ask, talking, I mean, I, I've heard him speak about Aiden Hudson, but it's like, oh, Trayvon Walker's got. So you feel like the voice in the room advocating for Trayvon Walker is going to be Trent Balk. How much does Doug Peterson love him? Does Shad Khan have a voice in there about what the Jags do at number one? How much does he love Trayvon Walker or Aiden Hutchinson? We'll, we'll have to wait and see. But it appears that uh, Trent Balky is a big. Trayvon Walker guy. Now, will he get him number one? I mean, it's up to the Jags. 
uh, if they do that. Also, we've got the possibility of a trade that, that could be out there. Uh, and Trent Baalke was asked, would you trade the pick? He said, well, if, if the offer was right, we're open to it. But nobody's called. And, again, I don't imagine the Jags will field a whole lot of, a lot of offers until closer to draft day. But how valuable is that number one overall pick in a draft where it's very balanced? Again, if you don't get Aiden Hutchinson, Kayvon Thibodeau's out there. You've got three tackles that people really find enticing. So are you going to move up? Is there a guy you just can't live without? I wonder how tradable the number one pick for Jacksonville is if they do want to be because on some level again the same reason for these other teams not moving up would be a reason Jacksonville wants to move back I mean you could still get a tremendous player if you move back from one to three or four or five how sold are you on Aiden Hutchinson being that guy I'll be interested to see how this plays out again if you just kind of read some of the tea leaves and again, could be misdirection, could be, you know, what have you. But it seems like Trent Baalke is a Trayvon Walker guy. And I think, Ben kind of disagreed with me earlier in the show, I think you could move back and still get him. I think you could. Now, how far back can you move and, and, and still get him? I Maybe probably no farther than three or four, but I think if you wanted him, you could probably find somebody to move up for Kayvon Thibodeau, Evan Neal, Aiden Hutchinson, and you could move back and still get Trayvon Walker and not have to pay number one overall pick and and get another another pick out of it or two. So, I mean, if you're Jacksonville, you're kind of in not as bad as the Atlanta, but you're kind of in that, hey, we want players. We need players. We need talent. We need guys on this roster who can play. And if we got to trade back out of number one, I know that's kind of a dirty, dirty thing because, you know, Heaven forbid the uh, number one overall pick comes on to uh, you know, be like a 27-time All-Pro or something ridiculous. I mean, obviously not that, but, you know, like becomes a multi-year All-Pro and one of the best in his position and you move back and chose not to. That'll be the 30 for 30 down the road. Yeah, I remember when you had a chance to draft this guy. You said, nah, we're good. We're going to move back and uh, get the other guy. You, some of that going on as well. But, uh, again, Jags feel confident they're not going to be number one anytime soon. And it's down to four. So uh, less than a week to go. We'll see what they do there. Falcons sitting at number eight. I don't have a read on what they're going to do. We've talked to numerous folks on the show, draft experts, people who cover the Falcons uh, on a daily basis and say, what are the Falcons doing? I don't know. I mean, that's that's, that's basically what you get. They can take anybody. Literally anybody at number eight. Obviously, outside of a kick or punter, but I mean, you're talking, you could go so many places with your draft picks. Uh, certainly there at number eight, and nobody has a clue. I mean, Terry Fontenot's been very tight lipped about it. Arthur Smith hadn't said much about what, but you, you could. I mean, people are saying they wouldn't be surprised if the Falcons, if one is there, they take a quarterback. They wouldn't be surprised. I think you've kind of committed to not being very good in 2022. So, Unless you are just 100% Malik Willis or the quarterback of your choice, I go somewhere else. I go somewhere else in this draft. Not not going quarterback. But there, I mean, we've talked to several people say, hey, they could. Malik Willis is sitting there. 
how much do they like him moving forward. And Marcus Mariota, I mean, Marcus Mariota is a placeholder anyways. You hate to say that to him. I mean, but sorry, Marcus, you're, you're here to buy time until we find somebody we really like. You were available, which is the best. That was the best ability is availability. And you were cheap, relatively, as compared to other quarterbacks around the league. You didn't cost us a lot of money, and we could get you. The end kind of sums up the Falcons' free, agents, uh, free agency period. Are you available? Yes. Do you cost a lot of money? Nope. Okay, good. We'll sign you. We'll bring you onto this team. But what do the Falcons do at eight? It's a mystery. Uh, less than a week to go. So many options. Uh, I don't know if there's a guy I'm willing to stick for. If, I, if I've kind of started advocating, I think the Falcons should also move back and potentially pick up a number one for next year. So you could have two number ones. So if you look at that draft class of potential quarterbacks, if there's one you really like, you have the draft capital to thus move up there and, uh, and get the one you want. I don't know if there's anybody that I'm, I'm just dyed in the wool. Gotta have them that if, a, if an offer comes to move back that I, I wouldn't take. I mean, if one of those, if Evan Neal slides, I might be enticed. Kayvon Thibodeau, potentially. I think wide receiver, you can address that in numerous spots in this draft. Doesn't necessarily have to be number eight. I mean, the Falcons do have a history of taking wide receivers or pass catchers relatively high. Calvin Ridley, Julio Jones. Kyle Pitts. Not afraid to do that. I don't think they go that that direction either. I'm thinking they're hoping one of the defensive ends that they, they like is still there. And if not, they're going to try to move back. I, I think you're so deep in many other positions on the field that you're going to try to move back if you just aren't absolutely in love with the guy you're, you're looking at drafted there at number eight. So a week out, somebody get Terry Fontenot on the line and give him some of that truth serum and see if he'll tell us anything. <laughs> anything. Christian's laughing. I mean, do you have any clue what the Falcons are going to do at eight? Because I don't even think they do. I can't go to break. I'm waiting on the hard out. Why? Yes, we got to go all the way. We're trying to get Ben back. We're trying to get Ben back on the show. He's having some technical difficulties on his end. But yeah, ben and the internet. Not, not friends today. Yeah, not, no, today. <laughs> None of you guys know how to use technology. What are you talking about? I'm on the show. None of you guys know how to use technology. Sorry. I'm just giving my, my, my draft thoughts here on oh, less than a week to go. I wish somebody was inner monologue. It is. I, look, am I wrong though? I'd am say I, am Falcons. I, anybody but a quarterback. But I, I mean, I don't think there's any quarterback that's good enough to be eight overall. Malik Willis, maybe. No. But I, I, to me, I want. I, I'm trading back because next year's In quarterbacks a are way year, better. Like Lamar Jackson, for what Lamar <laughs> right, Jackson yeah. did in college, won the Heisman right. Trophy. Somebody had to jump back in at the end of the first round to draft him. Right. right. This quarterback class just isn't good. Like there's right some now. guys, there's some guys like would I would you be surprised if I told you five years from now, none of the guys from this draft class are starters in the NFL? What if I told you all these guys were bums? That's not bums. No, it's no, just yeah. reality. I, no, I would any, not be any other year, Malik Willis, Kenny Pickett, Matt, Matt Corral, all those guys no, 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 second, third round picks. Yeah, none of those guys am I selling out for to build my franchise around. I'm willing to stink this year with Marcus Mariota. But that and, said, and, the NFL also jumps up to draft Jordan Love. 
And Not- maybe the worst draft picked in the history of the NFL. But people panic. People put their draft scouting, uh, put their scouting reports aside for quarterbacks. Hey, we got this guy in the second round. Oh, we got to have a quarterback. And I've always asked guys that cover the NFL, I'm like, but what if he's not a good one? Like, oh, well, you just can't afford not to have one. So you'll draft one that you don't think is going to fit? Correct. Just because you need one? Yeah. I think, I, I think next year your I, options I think are much Falcons better. the did what you're supposed to do, which is you go get Marcus Mariota. You're available and cheap. That's what I said, yeah. Correct. Like, you, you go <laughs> get somebody who can carry you over until you can get your franchise quarterback. You, you go get Marcus Mariota. You don't waste a top 10 pick on a guy that you are – Maybe ten percent sure it can be a starter. I'm becoming more of a Bill Belichickian guy. Like I, I think if the Falcons trade back, I'm not saying trade back a, a long ways. Trade yeah. back and try to pick up somebody's number one for next year to give you two number ones. And if there's a quarterback you really like, you have the draft capital move and go get here's him. Here's why I don't think that happens: is I don't think at number eight there's anybody that anybody would be in love with that much to jump up. Maybe. Like, that to give up another number one. Get Cleveland right? on the phone. Like, get some, well, I mean, but, but, like, Cleveland can't afford it. I know. There's they, teams that reach, no, though, Cleveland every year. already spent all their money or and all their draft picks on Deshaun Watson. Uh, there's If you're talking about wide receivers, wide receiver class is incredibly deep. Nobody's given up a number one to jump up to eight. Right? Offensive tackles. Extremely deep. I've seen drafts that don't have Tyler Lindenbaum, who might be the best offensive lineman, going in the first round. Like so, all the positions that are good are incredibly deep. So I just I don't know. Like if somehow Aiden Hutchinson or uh, Kayvon Thibodeau drop, and somebody wants to, but like again, are you giving up a first round pick next year and this year to jump up and grab Kayvon Thibodeau, a guy who a lot of people have said? I they they don't know that he loves football. Like they don't know that the motors there, right? That he takes plays off. Like are you are you risking two first round picks to jump up and grab that guy? I just I don't I don't see anybody in this draft class that's as good of a football player as a Jamar Chase. Right? It's just not a It's a deep but not overwhelming yeah, draft not class. A, there's there's no superstars yeah. really in this draft class. I think that's okay. I think every now and then you're going to see drafts that are dominated by offensive linemen. Like the best position group in this draft is offensive line, right? Yeah. I mean, you have Evan Neal, you have Charles Cross, you have Equan Anamu. Like you have a ton of offensive linemen who are really good. Like I said, Tyler Lindenbaum, not even projected in the first round a lot now. He might be the best offensive lineman there is. It's just the position he plays. Not a lot of people are going to spend a first round pick on it. So I think the most deep and the best position is offensive line. I think there's a lot of really good defensive tackles, but then you have stuff where it's you have to be a certain style of defense to take a lot of these guys as well, like a Jordan Davis, right? You have to have you have to run that three four where he can play that zero tech. So it's there's a whole lot of different things going into this, but I just don't see anybody that I love enough to move up. But at the same time, I don't see a quarterback here where I'm like, Yeah, I feel the need to spend a top ten pick. So if you're the Falcons Best available player, not a quarterback. It's an A-plus in my book. I think we found Ben. He'll join us coming up in our number two. We'll bring him back. He's got the internet uh, all figured out. He's had this conversation yeah. with uh, with Bill Gates, and he got it all worked out. So he'll join us coming up. Say that again. Can you, can you hear me? Yes. We got you. Uh, Christian and Kevin, I think this is the first, right? Christian. I want you to come over here real quick so you can see where the hell I am. You look like you're in the back of somebody's car. I'm in the back of my car. <laughs> Get her done. There you go. Whatever it takes to to Let me tell you people something before we go to break. No, we don't have time. We, 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 we gotta go to break. We're, you we're can done. tell us after. Good Afterwards, tease. three and out. Southern Pigskin Radio Network. The hell of a tease.
Good to have you back here three and out on this Friday. Kevin Thomas, Ben Troop, glad you're making us a part of your day. Ben, we have you back here on the show. You've got technology all figured out, and we're glad you're with us. Listen, Kevin, if anybody that didn't know, as you know, I used to want to be an engineer and um, to all the Geek Squad uh, employees out there, eat your heart out. You you, you don't you don't know nothing about this right here, but we're going to make it happen. <laughs> that being said, it is 4 o'clock. We'll take three here on 3 and out. All right, Ben, take one. The Yankees intentionally walked Miguel Cabrera late in the game yesterday and got a, a huge boo from the crowd as Miguel Cabrera was one hit away from 3,000. It loaded the bases. I believe the Yankees were up two. Didn't want uh, Miggy to hurt him. Was that the right move, or should you just go for it, like pitch to him? For the Yankees, I mean, certain certain people love Kevin. They earn the hate, right? The Yankees earn the hate. Like at the end of the day, I get this. I get this, uh, Miguel Cabrera. You don't want him to get the three thousand. Pitch to him, man. Come on, don't don't do that. Like I think Kevin, we've been kind of talking about the un, the unwritten rules of baseball here lately, and is that one of them? Like I get it. No one wants to be, you know, if, if Jamal Lewis needs, you know, fifty yards to go over two thousand, so we don't want to, you know, it's different that we gonna make sure that he doesn't get the yardage by stacking the box and just uh, selling out on the run and out the pass. But pitch to the man. Come on. Yeah, I kind of uh, – I mean, if you are the Yankees, I mean, no one's going to remember it that much. Come on, man. Pitch to him. That's nonsensical. You're going to walk him and just, and just what, to tie the game up? Come on, man. That's nonsense. I, I think we've seen in the last week, Ben, we've seen baseball managers manage away from, from potential – uh, for, for potential history. Don't want to pitch to uh, Miguel Cabrera getting 3,000. I mean, I get it. You don't want to be the team or the guy that gives up hit 3,000. I mean, he's going to get it eventually. I know a lot of people said, well, he had three at-bats before that. He could have gotten 3,000, but no. Uh, and we saw a guy taken out with a perfect game. And, like, why Why are you trying to take away? I know you can say, hey, careers are bigger than moments. Postseason is bigger than moments. I, 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 but, but you live for moments. 3,000 hits is a milestone. If, if it gets given up against you, I mean, I mean, if Hank Aaron hits 715 against the Dodgers, I mean, do we feel bad for the, the Dodgers? No, it's like you're a part of history, man. Like, it, it you, I mean, yeah, you're on the wrong side, but it's it happens, and you're always linked to a great moment in sports. I mean, it's it's going to happen. I, I, I think maybe the right managerial move, but at the same time, like, come on, man. Pitch to him and... and challenge him to get it. There used to be a little bit more of that, uh, Ben. I think a lot of times uh, that's what's gotten uh, analytics uh, driven in sports where it used to be uh, kind of the attitude, and I know people will say, well, what di- so much for the machismo if he beats you, but there used to be that kind of uh, kind of attitude in sports. is like, you don't back down from Michael Jordan. You say, fine, it's Jordan. We're going after him. Bring it to us. It's his three thousandth hit potentially. You're not going to get it on us, not because we're not going to let you, because we're we're not we're going to pitch, and you're, you're not going to get a hit. And I feel like you lose some of that versus no, we're just not going to let this guy beat us. So you know, we'll take him away from the game. So I, I feel like some of that has been lost in just sports in general, where it's hey, it's more analytics driven instead of why don't we just dig down and we're not going to let this guy beat us. And it's a challenge. You want to go against the best. And see where you stack up. I get it. They don't want Miguel Cabrera. They don't want him tied to them, to them as far as like his milestone. But I agree with you, Kevin. Come on, man. Like, 
pitch, he's going to end up with what? Well over 3,000 hits, right? He's going to, so what are they going to do next time? What, if he, if he if he's already at 3,002, like, we don't want to get, man, pitch to him. You're the freaking Yankees. No one's going to, no one's going to remember Miguel Guerrero getting his 3,000 hits against y'all. I think that kind of stuff is crazy, Kevin. And even, we are not, we are not too many, we are not too many moves uh, removed, Kevin, from these same playing Yankees, popping bottles in the <laughs> yeah. game. And they can't even pitch to Miguel Cabrera. That's, that's ridiculous. Yeah, winning playing games and uh, won't pitch uh, to Miguel Cabrera at the end of a ball game again. I know you're trying not to lose a ball game, but how about you just pitch to get him out? And hope he, I mean, again, have some confidence that he's not going to hurt you and pitch to get him out. But anyway, I know you ran into Miguel Cabrera I, yeah, over the summer. Listen, my uh, my child is a is a budding superstar in the soccer world, and I see this huge goalie, right, huge kid, and I was like, "That's a big kid." And then all of a sudden, I see, I said, uh, "You know how like Kevin, you see somebody go, that looks like Miguel Cabrera, ain't no way, but ain't nobody standing next to him." And I'm like, right, and, and then I'm thinking to myself, "Is that just like a Miguel Cabrera rule? Like, don't nobody come up to him?" So my my uh, my my uh, my daughter's coach was like, "Hey, there's a Miguel Cabrera over there." And I had to act like for real. I had to act like I didn't see him already. <laughs> so. He, so he introduced me to him, and you know, uh, I, my kid was actually playing goalie that day. So we, I got a chance to meet him. And Kevin, I, I will say this: for everybody that say the fanboy is, it's real. You have to, you have to keep it under wrap. But but he was so down to earth. You know, talk. He's talking to me like we know each other, which I'm like, nah. Big McGregor Barrett can play tight. That he's a big dude. Like he's not a little guy by no means. But we took pictures and everything. But I think with him. You know, obviously he's Miguel, and he don't want to overshadow his kid, which he's not. But very, very cool, dude. We took some pictures, Kevin. And I, now, I, to be honest, you know, full disclosure, I wanted to call you and put it, put you on the phone with him, but he would be like, "Dude, I just took some pictures." All right, well, uh, if I see you tomorrow, you gonna do it? So you know, it, it, but it, it was it was cool running into him. Yeah, I, I probably would have been like, "You're playing around." I wouldn't, I wouldn't have believed you anyway, but. No, 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 Kevin. It would have been one of those things where you, you know, y'all at the ballpark. You just, you know, you and the, you and the, you and the, you and your, you and the kiddos, and you see him, and you go, but you got a, you got a handful of stuff. Like, what is it? That's freaking Miguel. Oh, yeah. God. That's crazy. All right, moving along. Take two. Debo Samuel said he wants a trade. Where is the best landing spot for Debo Samuel? I know we talked about would the Falcons try to get him if they didn't, probably don't have enough capital to do it. But where's the best landing spot for Debo Samuel? I mean, I know, I know people ain't going to like this. The best landing spot for Debo Samuels right now. But the Tampa Bay right now, you know what happened today? A, a one, a one um, Tom Brady just took, took more or less money to create like $9 million in cap space because you bring it back Chris Godwin and obviously you got Mike Evans, but he want to have that three-headed monster who's going to replace like Antonio Brown's production. I think a young Debo Samuels can do it, but for my money, Kevin, I think he's probably going to end up in the uh, in the AFC West. He's going to end up probably in New York with the Jets because I think right now, Zach Wilson... You just said the AFC... Did you mean to say East? I'm sorry. Did I say AFC West? I'm yeah, sorry. No. I was like, you said whoa, AFC West and you whoa, said whoa, New York. Whoa. I was like, I'm sorry. I'm sorry. <laughs> if he's going to end up in the, I'm sorry, AFC West, who they have every freaking body. But I will say this, Kevin. Speaking of the AFC West, there's a team in Las Vegas. Oh, because you know, I mean, because I because at the end of the day, if you add a Debo to go on with Hunter Renfro to go on with Darren Waller to go on with Devontae Adams. That is electric people, but I think Zach Wilson 
They kind of want to know what they got in him being the second overall pick last year. They they need to give him a dynamic receiver that can help that can help him out as far as like intermediate routes over the top as well as like just moving the chain. So while Tampa Bay is going to throw a lot of money at him and try to do all they can with the draft, it's probably going to be the check. That's a good call. Good call there. All right, take three. The Hawks are hosting the Heat for game three. Can they win this one at home? I heard a stat. The Heat are 15-0. When they in series, when they get up two nothing, and they are up two nothing on the Hawks. Hawks got down. You and I were talking about this. They got down two nothing to Milwaukee last year and ended up forcing a game seven. Can they win game three to try to get that momentum back? I think they can, Kevin. I think they have to. This is a must win, and I don't. I don't ever want to say the Atlanta Hawks ever got home field. I mean, you know, home court event. I'll never say that. But I do think the home crowd is going to be that they're going to be rocking for those guys. I think Trey and company understand what the task at hand is. Obviously, got away from them in game one because they took Trey out of the game. Had a better game two, even though nobody saw Jimmy Butler going for forty-five points. But for my money, Kevin, just that you know, I don't know if they, I don't know if they're going to win this series because I just think Miami is just they just do goddamn it. They're too physical. But I will say, if they're ever going to get a win, it's going to be in game three to make a series of it. Who knows, Kevin? You get you win game three, and you you know you you scratch and claw out of game four. That puts a lot more pressure on Jimmy Butler and company. But for my money, I will say yes. Game three, I still believe in these young Hawks team. Have underwhelmed, had you know, play their best ball down the stretch, but first two games kind of got away from them. They get a big win in game three. Yeah, they seemingly play better at home, and we'll see if they can get one tonight. Again, got. Shellacked in game one, a little bit better in game two. Uh, obviously, game three, a must get, or it's probably all over on Sunday night if they don't get it done. That's take three. Then we do it every day uh, here at this time. We'll come back, and you've got a troop talk sitting down with Darren Heitner. And again, this is something we're, we're seeing across college athletics, and I think uh, some, some interesting insight into not only what he's doing there at Florida, but this is something that I think you say, well, it's the uh, I keep wanting to call it Shield, the Gator Guard, and Gator it, guard. the Gator Guard. All right, Kevin, listen, if, if, if the Gator Shield come out in the next two hours, <laughs> Kevin Thomas is working behind the scenes. Yeah, he is fully go the NIL. Give me some NIL, and then I'll, I'll take credit for that. But no, look, but you're seeing it in organizations like that set up at every college across the country, uh, and I think that really insightful. Your conversation coming up with uh, with Darren Heitner. We'll have that for Troop Talk when we return. It's three and out all across the Southern Pigskin Radio Network. Now it's Troop Talk with Ben Troop. We're not victorious. Let no one come back alive. Not that kind of troop. This time. What up, everybody? I am Ben Troop. This is Troop Talk. And uh, every week I do my best to sit down with one of the best among us. And if you've been keeping up with all things going on at the University of Florida, I mean, my next guest, I mean, he sent shockwaves through not just the University of Florida, but the sports. IP Crypto Lawyer at Heightner Legal, TTG Sports Law and UF Law, owner of Sports Agent Blog, author of How to Play the Game, NIL Advocate, UF 40 Under 40, the great Darren Heightner. What's going on with you today, Darren? Good to see you, Ben. Thanks for having me. Now, Darren, man, uh, you know, when I saw your news, when I said what, what shocked me was, you said bigger than Gatorade. This, is, this isn't a apparel deal. It is, uh, you know, it's Gator Guard. Now, Gator Guard is obviously something that's going to be partnering with Gators Collective, but a different entity of it. Uh, what Hugh Hathcock is going is going to be, um, he's going to be spearheading that thing. But talk about, want to talk about where NIL is and what it means to not just Florida, but college. And how is Gator Guard going to help, uh, as I've read, help uh, Billy Napier have a, 
have a uh, what is this a, a thermonuclear weapon at his disposal yeah look nil where we are now roughly nine and a half ten months in is number one most importantly this these were rights that should have never been taken away from college athletes so let, let's put that out there first and now that they have these rights we go from an ecosystem where a lot of players or at least some of them were making money under the table to now it being completely transparent and then earning money from doing endorsement deals and signing autographs and doing NFTs and personal appearances, et cetera, to where some athletes are making millions of dollars annually, some six figures, some only a mere few hundred dollars, but it's something. And that's really important. Where is it now in the broader system of college athletics is it is now one of, if not the most important elements of recruiting. Every single athlete across the country who has talent is considering NIL as part of his or her recruitment process. But it's not just recruiting. We now have the transfer portal. So many athletes who are at universities may think, well, I have a better opportunity to perform somewhere else. But not only that, not only maybe did my coach leave, so I feel as though the person who recruited me is no longer there and I want to go somewhere different. Not only perhaps, unfortunately, do I have a family member who's ill and I want to be close by, but there's now these NIL opportunities too. And if I'm at a small market and I can go to a bigger market and one where there's now a track record of doing NIL deals, I'm taking that into consideration. So it's become a huge part of the whole college sports ecosystem. Now, talking about Gator Guard, this is something that came together extremely quickly. You mentioned Hugh Hathcock's name in your intro, and he reached out to me earlier this week. He, in the past couple of weeks, made the biggest donation ever to University of Florida Athletics, 12.6 million. And he realized we need to do something else in order to compete, in order to be in the same playing field as everyone else. And that's not good enough. We wanna be number one. And his concept was to create a small exclusive group of high net worth individuals pool their resources together get them to provide annual commitments here thus far in 24 hours five individuals contributing and committing one million dollars apiece and it's not out of the realm of possibilities that in the near future that gets up to 15 20 people if there's a war chest of 15 20 million dollars What's that going to say to the world? What's that going to say to the competitors? What's that going to say to the athletes who are considering where to commit to and where to enroll to? So that's really why this was such a bold move and why it's received so much attention nationally. Speaking with Darren Hyde, the uh, you know, author of Playing the Game. Oh, I'm sorry, How to Play in the Game, NIL Advocate, UF 40 Under 40. Darren, you, you talk about what does it say to everyone else? Because when I hear NIL, I mean, I'm a, I'm, a, I'm a big believer in Gators Collective. I'm a big believer in what it does for players. I'm a big believer in what it, what, it, what it doesn't say. A lot of times you hear, you know, NIL, people hear, oh, young people get to make money. But I go, but what does it matter if they make money if they don't understand what it does? They don't understand how to manage it. They don't understand how to invest it. They don't understand how to keep it. Talk about what you said about the fact that you said, look, the University of Florida is the biggest brand in the state of Florida by far. But... When people, when people donate millions of dollars, they understand that, look, the return on investment, facilities, 
all the different things that it said, how much of winning the perception battle is just as big as winning the battle itself? It's bigger. It's bigger. Perception is so important because, again, these deals, the money that comes in cannot be promised to athletes before they're committed or enrolled. There may be other schools out there, or I should say other collectives out there who are making promises to athletes. We're not doing that with the Gator Collective, and we're not going to do that with the Gator Guard. So because we're not actually going to offer money to athletes before they're enrolled, the perception matters so much. Just knowing that there's so much money in the bank ready to be deployed, that is going to influence decisions. And importantly, it's not in violation of the NCA's interim NIL policy, which says no offer can be presented contingent on an athlete enrolling at the university. I think there may be athletes in certain schools that have put themselves at risk already because they've been so bold to actually make those offers prior to the athlete being enrolled. So to your question, perception for us is absolutely important. But ultimately, it's not only about putting your money where your mouth is as a donor, but as I said earlier, you have to deploy it. And you mentioned the Gator Collective. Look at their track record over multiple months. They've deployed the money. And I give kudos and credit to all of the individuals who have decided to sign up for a subscription. Every single fan who's putting $10, $100 per month or annually, it adds up. And it's strength in numbers. So, yeah, perception's huge. Talking with Darren Heider, I am being true. This is true. Talk, talking all things NIL, Gators Collective. I mean, the bombshell known as Gator Guard. You mentioned something, Darren, that I think is important. You said right now we got five people willing to give a million dollars annually. That could go up to 10, 15. How important is it to be first, though? Like, when I when I think of anything, when I think of Gatorade, well, I drank Gatorade with the Florida Great Drink. Had nothing to do with it. But Eddie Rojas, he started Gators Collective. You and Hugh, you guys are starting Gator Guard because you know they're gonna. Some other people are gonna want to be involved with other entities. How important is it for you to be first and say, "Hey, man, they might not have to utilize my services, but they got to at least call me." Um, I, I try to not to be as least self interested as possible. I'm honestly, you know, from the start, and I had the fortune of helping with crafting Florida's NIL law back tail end of 2019, when the NCA still had these prohibitions in place. Um, has NIL helped my business? Of course. But has it completely consumed me and my practice? No, it's still a small portion of my business. From day one, my interest has been in helping athletes. I've always considered myself to be an athlete advocate. And the bottom line is, who's benefiting the most from this? It's the athletes. Um, I think being early is important, but not so important for Eddie Rojas or for Hugh Hathcock. It was important for the Gator Collective and now for the Gator Guard, because the Gator Collective was the first collective to be established nationally. And as far as I know, the Gator Guard is a first of its kind nationally. And that, you know, you, you do receive a lot of attention, a lot of press by being first. And again, putting your money where your mouth is. Five people donating a million dollars or committing a million dollars each within 24 hours, that's a statement. Um, and so, yeah, I mean, being first is important. But again, I don't think that it's necessarily important for any of us who are involved from a self-interest perspective. Talking with Darren Heider, 
I like that a athlete advocate, uh, you know, uh, author of How to Play in the Game, NIL advocate, UF 40 under 40, orchestrator of the Gator Guard, Billy Napier, new head coach of Florida. How important is it him endorsing it? Because I know how hard it is. New coach, I want to get my new culture in. I want to build my program. But for him to say, hey, man, he's out He's out on the, on the speaking tour now. I saw him yesterday. He's all over the state. But endorsing Gators Collective, endorsing Gator Guard, how much does that make things a lot easier? Because you know I want the big man on campus to at least advocate for these things, even if he's still in the infant stages of trying to figure out how all this thing, how everything works. Undoubtedly, undoubtedly it helps. Um, I think probably more so from the perspective of the Gator Collective than the Gator Guard. Um, and that's because if you're a fan and you're not being asked to put too much money in, but, you, but you're hearing from the head coach how important it is to be a part of this and how it helps the university as a whole, I think you are more compelled to actually open up your wallet and subscribe. The Gator Guard, I don't think any of these high net worth individuals really need to hear directly from Coach Napier as to the importance of providing capital. I think more so the importance was actually just to get the word out. And I, am, I was pleasantly surprised to wake up this morning and see that the initial tweet that I put out there about the Gator Guard had, I think, roughly 550,000 impressions in 20 hours. And it's only growing. Um, that was what was most important in my conversations with Hugh Hathcock, was we need to make sure that those individuals who have the deep pockets understand that this exists. And at that point in time, they won't necessarily need the prodding of Coach Napier. They'll know it exists. They'll know there's five people who have contributed already. They'll hopefully put their money where their mouths And Darren, finally, I mean, uh, when I spoke to Andrew Rojas, the one thing he made clear to me was being, I'm, being a former Gator, I'm a former Gator, you know, you, you went to Florida. He wanted to say, I wanted to, I know what it's like being a former player, understanding. So I know the needs of the players. You say you are a, a uh, athlete advocate. How, how great is the feeling knowing that, look, man, this is Gators coming together, whether we lawyers, former baseball, former football, saying whether we from the state of Georgia, from the state of Florida, saying we know what we need, whether it's from a student, student aspect, an athlete aspect, or facilities aspect to know that we're doing it together because you said you drafted up you drafted up the uh, you, know, you know everything as far as like the legal the legalities of it it's got to make you feel good knowing hey man Gators doing it for Gators these days I work with Donovan McMillan I'm, I talk with Gervon Dexter I work with Anthony Richardson I can tell you there's no better feeling than texting Anthony Richardson and saying check your bank account you've got x amount of dollars there um you know some players come from money, others don't. I don't care whether you do or you don't. Uh, to have the capacity to earn it, especially if you're using it to help yourself out, your family out, there's honestly very few better feelings in life. Uh, so I'm, I'm thrilled to be a part of it. I'm happy that athletes, brands, universities have asked me to work with them on it. And whatever I can do to help them I'm in for it. And then, and especially the icing, or, you know, the icing on top is when it, when it helps out the university that I love and went to school at for seven years, undergrad and law school and teach at now. It's uh, it's a great feeling. Aaron Heitner, the sports IP crypto lawyer, 
I mean, sports tech law at UF, I could have never took those classes. By the way, that's why I played football. You know, you know owner, of a, owner of a sports agent blog, author of how to play, how to play the game, NIL advocate, UF 40 under 40, athlete advocate, Florida Gators, doing it for Florida Gators. Darren, I wish, I don't know when you was at Florida, but I would have loved for you to call my phone and say, Ben, look, check your bank account. I said, listen, Darren, I don't know the hell about checking bank accounts online, but I will go up to the bank and check it, Darren. I appreciate you taking the time, sir. This will not be the first or last time we, uh, we come together on these airways, sir. Appreciate it. Ben, I remember you were a tremendous athlete at Florida. I was there 03 to 2010. And, oh, uh, you got there my senior year, and then you got to see the you got to see the senior year. You got you got to be there for the dynasty years. So talk trash to all them Florida State Miami boys. They don't know, they know what's up. I got you. Thanks for having me. Appreciate it, Dan. Good to have you back here, three and out on the Southern Pigskin Radio Network. Kevin Thomas, Ben Troop, glad you're making us a part of your day streaming live. ESPNCoastal.com on your mobile device with the ESPN app. You can also catch us on Facebook, Twitter, and YouTube as well. Did want to get back to the uh, draft, Ben, but be- before we do that, Troop talked there with uh, Darren Heitner, and I know people say obviously that he was doing it with Florida, but this is something that I, I think, Ben, you're going to see a lot of organizations, a lot of universities incorporating very similar things in uh, in the name of name, image, likeness around the country. Yeah, Kevin, because I mean, you, I mean, I think, I think it's something me and you talked about. NIL, we didn't really know what it was, right? But you know, just like with anything else, this comes down to two things. This comes down to who has the, who has the most money and who, ha- and who has the biggest brand, because that's what they're going to tie it to, right? And who, and who really spurred, who, and, and you know what's crazy? I don't like to give him credit. But Jimbo Fisher started with the guaranteed contract, and what he did let in 2022 uh, uh, recruiting class, becoming the number one, people was like, dude, we can't have that on our watch. So I think what happens is Darren, he understands that, look, you got to have different entities. You got to have – you got to have get the Gators collective to where you got the alumni, you got, you know, fans, and I, and, I, and I mean disrespectfully, a.k.a. regular money. And there is nothing wrong with that. But – Kevin, it's like being in the stadium. You got the regular seats and you got the box seats. The box seats, like, hey, listen, we understand it's more about facilities, right? Let's understand how how can we make sure that we got the top notch. We 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 look the part. And Darren and those guys understand, Kevin, as you know, you know, ain't no facility going up for no hundred grand these days. I mean, it's, <laughs> it's, it's, it's in the millions, no matter what. So I think that what they're trying to do is they're trying to make sure you have the best of everything facility-wise, while also being able to compete nationally uh, when it comes to the NIL deal. So, hey, I, he's smarter than me. Darren is a UF grad, you know, obviously teaches at uh, the UF uh, School of Law. You know, you, you Hashman, I mean, these guys, they understand. They're working behind the scenes, and they're working with a lot of people. But I'm just happy to be involved. Thank God, Kevin, two things. I ain't allowed to. I ain't allowed to deal with nobody money but mine, right? And I ain't allowed to do no no things behind the scene. But I but I will say that what caught my eye with Darren was what he said. He goes, big announcement, and this is not going to be an apparel deal or a shoe deal. This is going to be bigger than Gatorade. I'm like, what? So <laughs> I mean, he, obviously he he, uh, he piqued my interest, but Darren and Hugh and Eddie Rojas and those type guys, they're doing a great job behind the scene. Like I said, you raising, what, $5 million? In 24 hours, you definitely got your hands on something. Yeah, and it's, uh, again, if you think Florida's the only one doing it, nope. Uh, it's at universities all over the country putting stuff like this together uh, to uh, to help their programs out. We've got uh, certainly, we'll see how that continues to develop. We've got the draft coming up. Uh, been in less than a week. Uh, we talked about 
uh, Debo Samuel in take three. I want to ask you, you know, Debo Samuel to the Falcons. They obviously have a need at wide receiver, and people have talked about them addressing it in the draft and possibly even addressing it more than once uh, in the draft. What about a Debo Samuel situation for Atlanta? Could they even afford to do that? Obviously, you say, well, why would he want to come to Atlanta in a rebuild? Well, you're talking about a trade. I guess he, I don't know if he has veto power, but you're talking about a trade where all you have to do is entice San Francisco enough to make that deal, right? But does does Atlanta have the ability to do that if they wanted to? Uh, I mean, Kevin, anything is possible. I mean, when you start talking about the thing about it, the thing about a current player, you use the LA Rams uh, remedy. LA Rams will go, look, we rather, we, we'll give you our picks for players, especially if they're proven. So if you're talking about potentially trading out of that number eight pick to get a Debo, and I think that's worth it because, Kevin, the one thing that we haven't been talking about enough is Calvin Ridley. Calvin Ridley really, really hamstrung this offense in 2021. Obviously not going to be there in 2022, and I know they've tried to address it, but you can get a Debo Samuel. Now, I don't think Cordell Patterson don't like Debo Samuel being in the building because that's taking some of his touches, but I think Kevin, you tell me, Kevin. Kevin, you know, you got your you got your GM hat on. What you rather have? A number eight overall pick who's gonna have to develop no matter what, or a proven Debo Samuels for which you're gonna have to pay him. Now, you potentially gonna have to pay him because he's still on his rookie deal. Or do you say we'll take his rookie contract? I think he still has what two years left on it. And then give or get a proven player compared to a guy compared to saying, I'm going to just get a number eight overall pick and hope he develops. Well, I mean, I think what you're seeing at the collegiate level applies to the pro level as well. We're seeing, Hey, why recruit kids when I can just go get in that transfer portal and, and get a guy who's ready to go. I, I think if I'm Atlanta, you'd have to convince Debo, obviously you're part of the long-term plans moving forward, but why not get a guy who's proven in the league? I would take that over developing a guy. I, I I think every day. I mean, we see it. Why why'd the Colts go get Matt Ryan? Well, that's a heck of a lot easier than developing somebody. You got a 15-year vet walking in. Hey, Matt, do you know how to play quarterback? I, I, do, I do. You tell me what the scheme is. We'll, we'll get it going. So, I, I mean, if I'm Atlanta, I would my, – my question with Atlanta, the only reason I bring that up is – do they even have the ability, the capital, draft, or otherwise, to make that happen? Again, how many draft picks am I giving up to make this happen? I don't know. When you need everything, you can't afford to give up too much. Uh, obviously, that's about all you could trade for. I don't know. You don't see too many, at this point in the game, straight-up player swaps. And that, that being said, who would who would the 49ers want uh, if you just did a player swap? Uh, at that point, so I mean, I know, I know, I know one player that won't, and they ain't getting him. I, I, there's a guy on offense that wears 84. I know, I know they don't want him, but I, th- I think what happens is Kevin, though, give Terry Fano, you know, a lot of credit. He understands he, you've been in an organization that he, uh, with New Orleans for 18 years. I mean, he's seen it all and done it all, right? The problem is he's always had money to work with. Well, if you don't got money, what's the next big thing? Draft picks. So I do think that Terry Fondo has his work cut out for him. Debo Samuels makes things interesting. A.J. Brown makes things interesting. D.K. Metcalf makes things interesting. Three guys in the same draft that all four of them, I think, are coming up, you know, on their rookie, you know, rookie deals, the end of their rookie deals. But I think that that's what makes it interesting, okay? It's usually a quarterback, right? Like, you have a quarterback that don't want to be somewhere. You can swap out picks. But Debo Samuels, look, he said one thing. I don't want to play running back. 
okay, you 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 will not play running back. We already got a receiver doing that at, at <laughs> That's true. Cordell. So so you so you good on that thing. But I think too, Kevin, it just he just shores up a lot of holes because you look at how they use him in San Francisco, right? But he said I still was the first team all pro at receiver. If you just use me at receiver, 1,400 yards can be 1,800 yards. Six touchdowns can be double-digit touchdowns. So I, I always say when a superstar don't want to be at his current location, try to try to utilize that and, and get him out of there. Kind of like what you were saying, Kevin, when it comes to the trade deadline with Braves players. If they're a tradable piece, you got to try to get what you can get for them if you don't see them being part of the future. I think Terry Fonda, it makes things interesting because, like I said, if it ain't Kayvon Thibodeau, if it ain't Evan Neal, if it ain't Kyle Hamilton, I think he's better than every last one of these receivers in this upcoming draft. And again, I, I think that kind of speeds up the, hey, we're trying to win uh, conversation, right? I mean, I, I think you can uh, get off the rebuild talk. We talked to, I, I found it very interesting. You know, we talked with D. Orlando said, yeah, nobody even asked Jake Matthews about a rebuild and he's out here bringing up, we're not in a rebuild. Well, nobody asked you about that. That kind of gives you the mindset inside the, uh, the locker room. But Ben, how do you start to get that culture of winning back uh, back in the building. Because uh, we talked about up until Matt Ryan showed up, they'd never had back-to-back winning seasons. Uh, not with Michael Vick, not even though they had a Super Bowl appearance before that. Never had two consecutive seasons above 500. They did that with Matt Ryan, got to the Super Bowl. They've had now four straight losing seasons in Atlanta. How do you get that back? How do you get the winning culture back? Because I know people said, well, you don't want to, you don't want to turn into the Cleveland Browns where it's like you're stinking on purpose to try to get there and then you're just – you have to fight to get over that kind of rep that you're out there uh, just trying to get high draft picks. How do you do that if you're Atlanta? How do you get that? Because every move you have made this offseason has been contrary to a winning mindset. It's a long-term mindset. I'm not, I'm not faulting the Falcons for what they did. Don't get me wrong. I understand why they did what they did, but you don't move Matt Ryan and – uh, sign free agents to one-year deals and, and things of that nature if you have a winning mindset, you have a long-term mindset. How do you get the winning mindset back in the locker room? You're going to have to, you're gonna have, to have a, a, a for-sure plan to get a big-time quarterback because, Kevin, you know just like I know. While I, while I appreciated Michael Vick and what he meant to Atlanta, he was more entertaining than winning games. Very entertaining, but they weren't winning a lot of games when you talk about even though he did go to the NFC Championship yep. year and got beat by, by uh, Philadelphia. The thing about Matty Ice is, man, my goodness, man, say what you want about Matty Ice. He was about as consistent as he was never the problem. You know, he got all the blame when they lost, but I think you got to, you got to go all in to say, okay, there are quarterbacks coming up on contracts like a Kyler Murray. Unfortunately, like a Baker Mayfield, you know, you got, cause you know, just like I know, Kevin, the defense ain't going to get you there. Right. Even right. If you get a good one. You're going to have to go all in for a quarterback because that, that has been the mainstay for the last, what, 14 years? with Matty. And I will say this, right? Matty Ice did the same thing for Atlanta than Peyton Manning did for the Colts. Now, I'm not saying Matty Ice better than Peyton. That ain't what I'm saying. But Matty Ice went to one Super Bowl. Peyton Manning went to two. And 14, and Peyton Manning is considered arguably the greatest regular season quarterback we've ever seen. So I think that you got to have a plan for a big-time QB, whether that be a guy that's coming up on a rookie deal contract, a guy that's in, in, in one of these upcoming drafts, or you got to package some picks package some uh, picks together to be able to get a guy. Because, Kevin, it's not going to matter if you got a Kyle Pitts, a Debo Samuel. Uh, you know, it doesn't matter if you get, I mean, a freaking big-time running back. If you don't got the quarterback, take nothing away from you, uh, Marcus Mariota. It's going to be much to do about nothing. Every stable 
winning organization has one thing in common. They got a big time quarterback. And until until Atlanta gets that, they could get out, they could have the whole first round, right? If they don't get a big time QB, Kevin, you know just like I know. But there's not, not one to get matter. right now. Yeah, 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 yeah. No, I, I mean, like, no, I mean, like, but, but, but hear me out. Like you mentioned Kyler Murray and Baker Mayfield. I mean, no offense to either one of those guys, but is do you want either one of those guys to to, to I mean, be? Just, no, not no, not really. I think I think what happens is right. This is what really happens, right? And I know people like to hear this. You take a Dak Prescott, right? He got a big contract, right? They don't want to his 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 cap hits the next two years. It's regular money. In three years, it's like fifty million. They're not going to give him. So I think what happens is, Kevin, if you can't, Matty Ice was a godsend. Fourteen years, one guy. That's how many organizations can say that one guy? But if I can't get it, Marcus Mariota shows that Terry Fontenot might want to go the veteran route. Just a veteran that can actually get you two things: win your division, get in the playoffs. That's all you need your quarterback to do: win the division, get in the playoffs. Let's see what can happen. And until they get a quarterback that can consistently do that, that you you always a rebuild until you get your franchise QB. We've got more to come here on three and out. Of course, draft, draft, draft coming up. Uh, right around the corner, we'll chat uh, some Braves baseball with Bud Ellis coming up at the final hour of the show. The Braves back at home against the Miami Marlins. So uh, hopefully get back in their winning ways a little bit later tonight. This is 3 and Out. Hit us up on Twitter at Pigskin Radio. Love to hear from you. We're streaming live ESPNCoastal.com. Good to have you back here. Final hour on this Friday. Kevin Thomas, Ben Troop. Thanks for making us a part of your day. We'll chat with Bud Ellis, talk a little Braves baseball with him. Coming up in just a little bit as the Braves start a homestand here against the Marlins and the Cubs. Trying to get back on the right foot here as, uh, again, just back at home, all the festivities hopefully put to the rearview mirror for the uh, for the time being, and we can move forward in 2022. But, Ben, the draft coming up next week in Vegas, as we mentioned. Obviously, the Jags sitting there at number one, Trent Baalke, GM came out today and said, hey, we got four guys in mind. We're down to four guys. And I said, what about a trade? Well, we're open, but nobody's called. We'll hear it, but nobody's called. But four guys are sitting there in the in the Jags portfolio to go number one. Kevin, I mean, the thing is, I will say this. Trent Baalke is definitely the one for the suspense, right? He, he's definitely got it. Because the thing is, right, why, he can do this, right? I got the number one overall pick. I I can say that. I can say we we know that we know that three of them, I think, it's Javon Walker, Aiden Hutchinson, Evan Neal. Now that now that fourth could be anybody, but this is the thing. Kevin, the thing you said something yesterday. Trent Balker does not have a winning track record. No. Trent Balker is not the type of guy. No. Trent Balker. You got Jalen, you got Jalen Ramsey? Gone. I mean, I mean, he got J I mean he got Jason. I mean, he got uh you know, uh, you know, uh, Allen or whatever, but we'll see if they can even pick up his fifth year option. But if it was anything, if it was anybody other than Trent Baalke, if it was anybody but the number one overall pick, you can say all that. You can say all those things. But the draft will start after they make their pick because as much as at first it was Evan Neal, Evan Neal, Evan Neal, gone. Aiden Hutchinson. Oh, here come Trayvon Walker. So now they got somebody else in mind that might go number one overall. I saw some, you know. I think I think it makes the draft intriguing, Kevin. Nothing, nothing. The most intriguing draft there is is the NFL draft because you actually know the people being selected. You don't have to worry about international players. You don't have to worry about off the radar players. And unfortunately, two things are going to happen. One, 
The SEC is going to break the record for most players drafted. They get the most players drafted every year. Two, Mel Copper is guaranteed to be wrong. Guaranteed. <laughs> oh, yet. Mel Copper is going to say, I didn't say that. They're going to go to the table. Maybe I did say it. I just don't remember saying it. Well, look, I, mean, I think you look at Jacksonville and say, look, you got options at number one. Aiden Hutchinson is a guy that they say they like. I get the sense, Ben, just listening to Trent Baalke, I don't, no other thing, just kind of reading between the lines, is that Trent Baalke wants Trayvon Walker. He may not be the winning voice at the end of the day if it's a you know majority rules, but I get the sense that Trent Baalke would really like to figure out a way to get the young man out of Georgia. Yeah, Kevin, and the thing is, right, I will say this. When it comes to a GM, right, two things you got to have. You got to have trust of the owner. You got that. But you got to have a track record. Like, he don't have a track record. Now, I will say that they're going to get what the assistant, an assistant GM, but they get him after right. the draft, not before the draft. And the reason why, because he might come up in there with the voice of reason, a little common sense <laughs> might be sprinkled throughout the whole building. But I, I just say, Kevin, look, I will say this. Let me just say this about the draft, right? A lot of guys don't pan out. So there's no, oh, he got to, no, he don't. You hope he does, but no, he doesn't. How many guys can we remember from 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 each draft? You can't. Guys fizzle out. Certain guys play well. Certain guys don't. Certain guys meet expectations. Certain guys don't. I remember a one JJ Watt coming out of college. I did not see him becoming a player. He became sometimes Richard Sherman. What a fifth round pick, fourth fifth round pick out of Stanford. Look who he became. So I would say that the most scrutinized pick is the number one overall pick because they're going to be like, oh, number one overall, number one overall, number one. Jadavion Clown. Number one overall pick was the number one recruit coming out of high school. Everybody knew who's going to be number one overall pick. He's had an okay career. It ain't been nothing to ride home about. I just think that, Kevin, we scrutinize these picks too much. It's a pick. Deal with it. If it's not going to be a quarterback, they're going to be based upon who's around them anyway. And quarterbacks, too. You can talk about how great Pat Mahomes is. Travis Kelsey, number one tight end in in the league. Tyreek Hill, even though he just got moved on, arguably number one, number two receiver in the league. It's not like you didn't have great players around him. So pick it, deal with it. It's Jacksonville. Y'all got pools at the stadium. Come on, man. Y'all average the average age on y'all team is 23 years old. If y'all, whoever y'all get, he's already one of the most, one of the oldest guys on the team. And he possesses some of the most veteran cachet because of the way he got drafted. But I do like the fact that Trent Balky is making us all wait and suspend. I've been in your estimation, because I know people like Aiden Hudson or Trayvon Walker. Who is the best player in the draft? Don't care about need. I don't care about it. who is the best player in your estimation in the draft. The best player in the draft to me, I I think it, it it might be it really really might be uh, Sauce Gardner because the thing about it is Kevin he's a he didn't give up look he didn't give up a touchdown in college right. He was at a team that made the college football playoff and what and wasn't in a big time conference, right? And he's 6'3, he ran a 4-4, and, and he's a guy that's super duper productive. I, I just think that for me, I just think he's the best player in the draft because he's rock solid. You know, he's gonna walk out of college and walk into whatever organization and do what he's been doing. Put me on a number one receiver with my length, with my size, with my athletic ability, and let me go out there and get it done. Now, a guy to me that's being disrespected. And I really, really don't understand why it's Kayvon Thibodeau. What has Kayvon Thibodeau not done? He balled at Oregon. You knew how good he was. Led the league. It led college football in sacks. Yet all of a sudden, a guy that was a late bloomer 
Speaking of a late bloomer, I was a late bloomer myself. In Aiden Hutchinson, I just think Kevin me, Sauce Gardner to me is my is the best player in the draft to me. And I think the Kayv- Kayvon Thibodeau is right there at one B. And again, mo- both the, well, both those guys, uh, Kayvon Thibodeau, seen his kind of stocks. Sli- I know you hate when people say that when you say, "Hey, he slid in the first round." No, he no, you still he slid to number eight. What? <laughs> I mean, you're still the eighth best player in the in the whole yeah. in the whole thing, according to. But uh, yeah, I think uh, Sauce Gardner will be interesting because, then to me, as you said. Everything that you have watched and stats and look at would say this is what you're looking for. A taller, bigger. We talked to Kyer Elam earlier, six two corner. Sauce Carter, tall cornerback, physical. Sauce Carter, six three. All That's what I'm six saying. Three. Six three, maybe a smidget under six four as we we but did not allow a touchdown in college. And again, you're getting the number ones. Now, not all number ones in college aren't created equally. Yeah. But this is a guy that played in New Year's Six Bowl games, guy that played in a college football playoff game, uh, a guy that has played in big-time college football games, nobody got in the end zone on this guy. Now, is that going to hold for the NFL career? No, but, I mean, well, obviously well, the dude well, knows well, what well, he's well, doing. Well, you know, he's a good technique guy, and he's big and physical. Okay, something we ain't talking about, right? What What is it about Aiden Hutchinson that people don't want to talk about? Yeah, the Georgia tape. Obviously. We, we try to gloss over that Georgia table. We may have lost Ben there for a second. You try to go ahead, Ben. No, I was, I was going to say, Kevin, what is it about Aiden Hutchinson that, that people don't want to talk about? The Georgia when he, went up against, when he went up against Georgia, right? Sauce Gardner has gone up against Georgia and Alabama in back-to-back seasons, and he gave up zero touchdowns. Like, think about that. So when somebody goes, well, who did he play against, Georgia? What did he do against them? You know, uh, in the Chick-fil-A Peach Bowl, gave up zero touchdowns. Okay, what did he do in the college football playoff next year? Gave up zero touchdowns. Now, they didn't win either game, but he only plays one position. I just think that if you're giving him elite competition, I will say this too, man, and we need to stop doing it. My competition who I go up against. Don't, don't, don't. I'll, so I ball when I'm in college, then, oh, he only went up against. Uh, no, no, the guy is 6'3". There are most receivers ain't but six feet. He's he's one of the tallest players on the field. 6'3", 200 pounds, ran a 4-4. Never gave up a touchdown, and that's Georgia and Alabama. Oh, come on, man. We need to stop this. Now, Derek Stingley Jr. is a really, really good player. N'Kobe Dean is an excellent player. Jordan Davis is an excellent player. Evan Neal is an excellent player. Sauce Gardner never gave up a touchdown. Like, think about that. That's like a kicker saying, I never missed a kick. <laughs> like I never, I never gave up. Not even in. Think about it, Kevin. Before we knew who he was, not giving up anything. Like somebody go, you never gave up anything. You ever gave up a touchdown pass? No. Like never. Not in college. Like good luck. I mean, if, if we talking about resumes, is, does it get better than that? Hey man, there's a type on your resume. You you forgot to put when you gave up a touchdown. I didn't. Mm. Yeah, that's and a, that's a heck of a thing like, to be able to well, take you to the interview with you. I don't think he's ever given up. I don't think he's ever given up a hundred yard receiver either. That's. That's elite, people. I'm sorry. You either want the best or you don't. And Kevin, to me, 6'3", 200, never gave up a touchdown pass, and I added Georgia and Alabama to that. Pay that man. I'm interested to see because, again, he's a guy that has slid a little bit unexplicably or inexplicably. Still being the first round uh, there at quarterback. But, again, as you said, I I think – Sometimes you start looking at reasons not to draft guys, and you've been you've said this. You know, NFL teams are looking for reasons not to take you. NFL teams are looking for reasons to cut you, uh, and all that. And sometimes you take uh, uh, too hard a look at some of the cons and say, "Man, the pros uh, 
are, are way outweighing the bad in, in this situation with a guy uh, like that. I mean, again, is he going to go his whole NFL career giving up no touchdowns? Not, not likely. But that tells you, I, I think that gives you a barometer of what kind of player he is when, you know, you didn't fall down one time and somebody got behind you. Like, you didn't slip. You didn't, you know. You didn't get your helmet pulled in the yeah. like, You didn't get, they didn't run a fade route and you got duped at the goal line. What, like, not, not one time. Like, yeah. that, 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 just stuff. That, that's, 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 that's excellent. That, that's stellar. Like, because, Kevin, college football as a whole, the best of them, the best of them give up a touchdown. Like, and that's the best of them. I've never given it up. And I'm thinking to myself, isn't that the goal? The goal is not to give up anything. He didn't give up anything. And don't give me that. It was at Cincinnati. That was in the college football playoff. Oh, okay. Well, what, well, what did they do before that? Uh, they went undefeated a year before. What? Yeah, yeah. In, in, in two calendar years, they lost two games. And I and and, and I and I think, well, who do they have on their resume? They beat Notre Dame. Head to head? Yes. And that's another one he didn't give up anything, obviously. Yeah. And, 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 and let's call it what it really is. If Georgia, if Georgia kicker don't got a freaking dynamite in his leg, they lose in the Chick-fil-A Peach Bowl two years ago. Who who knows? But yeah, Kevin, I think that Saul, man, man listen, his nickname is Sauce, man. I'm sorry. <laughs> but if you got a nickname like that, Kevin, and you living up to it, I ain't mad at him, man. I mean, 6'3. I mean, that's about as elite as you're going to get at the cornerback position. And he's a real corner, not projected to be a safety in the league. No, I play corner in college. I'm going to play corner in the league. We got more to come here on 3 Now. We'll talk more draft, which is coming up next week from Las Vegas. We'll look at what the Falcons and Jags have laid out in front of them. When we come back, we'll talk a little baseball. Can the Braves get back on their winning ways? They got the Marlins and Cubs at home. We'll talk some baseball with Bud Ellis when we come back. It's 3 and Out, Southern Pigskin Radio Network. Welcome back here. It is three and out on this Friday afternoon. Braves and Marlins coming up uh, this weekend. A chance for the Braves to get back into their winning ways. And uh, joining us here on the program, great friend of the show, covered the Braves for a long time. Bud Ellis joins us here on three and out. Bud, welcome. How are you? I'm doing well, and I think the I think the Braves are probably doing pretty well too because we've made it through a week of all the pomp and circumstance, coming off a very abnormal spring training, followed by a very abnormal early season trip to the West Coast. So finally feels like a sense of normalcy now is probably probably descended around the ball club now that they've gotten back home, they've had a day off, and they'll get into a little bit of a more of a regular routine, I think, as far as baseball's concerned. Yeah, that was kind of, uh, Bud, my hypothesis of the whole thing as well. as like the first week at home was about everything other than playing. It was the, the patting yourself on the back and, yeah. hey, look, look what we did. Then you go to the Padres and you had a, a decent 2-2 two and two series with them. And then, of course, uh, the Dodgers was nothing but emotion with Freddie and Kenley Jansen and all that. Uh, it feels yep. like, as you said, now it's the settle down or settle in and just play baseball at this point that you've gotten a lot of that stuff out of the way. Yeah, you know, and, and here's the thing, right? If you play seven games on the other side of the continent, and this, this goes back to the way I felt for 40 years now, if you go three and four on that trip, that's fine. That's totally fine. And I didn't even mention all the all the hubbub and emotion around, you know, playing Freddie Freeman and Kenley Jansen returning to L.A. and 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 all of that, you know. So, look, you know, the ball club's six and eight on the year. You know, those who have been around a while know the Braves historically – tend to get off to a little bit of a slow start. And I just honestly, you know, don't – I'm not too terribly concerned at, you know, taking a holistic view of, of this of this ball club. I'm not too terribly concerned at where they're at right now. Yes, I know the, 
the Mets are off to a good start, and I know that there's some elements in the lineup that are not firing and so forth. But, you know, all, all things considered, I mean, six and eight's fine. But, you know, you'd like to come home. You've got the Marlins and the Cubs coming up here on this homestand. You're better than both of those teams. Now, certainly you're better than the Reds and the Nationals, but you had all the hubbub and the pomp and circumstance around that first homestand. But I think you'll see the ball club settle in and start to play better now. And, Bud, you talked about the offensive woes. I counted up the other day. You have six guys who are playing semi-regularly. Uh, we'll just put it that way. They're not not necessarily, but six guys who are playing semi regularly who are batting under two twenty. That includes you know Ozzy Albies, and you really have just four guys who happen to mostly bat in consecutive order uh, who are getting done for who are getting it done for you. And that'd be obviously Matt Olson, uh, Austin Riley, Ozuna, and Travis Darno. Outside of those four guys, really nobody is is showcasing themselves well at the plate. No, it, it's it's definitely been a slow start and. You know, you, you can look at it one of two ways. You can take kind of the the, the micro view of, oh, my goodness, what, a, what an awful start for Dancy Swanson, and no one's going to argue that. Awful start for Eddie Rosario. Nobody's going to argue that. An awful start for pretty much every person who's filled into the DH role except the days that Ozuna has DH and a couple of Orlando Garcia appearances there. And really, for the bottom half of the lineup has just been a black hole. But if you take a step back, you think, okay, these two-week stretches can happen to just about anybody, right? I mean, you know, Matt Olson is going to have a two-week stretch where he looks lost. You know, Marcelo Zuna is going to cool off for a two-week stretch. And if it happens at the end of May or if it happens the second and third week of August, no one really pays attention. But, of course, it's going to be magnified when it's at the very start of the season and you look up two weeks in and you see you're hitting 063 or 081 or you've struck out 22 times in 49 plate appearances. You know, obviously these guys are better than that. I think you'll see a little more kind of progression up to the mean as over the next couple weeks go. And certainly there's there's a key element of this lineup, and I don't think that you can put too much on one particular person, but when he's one of the best players on the planet, and you know in the next two or three weeks that you're going to add him, and by adding Ronald Acuna to the top of this lineup will help really to kind of solidify everything going down. I think you'll see the offense come back and do what we think that they're going to be, and that's one of the top offensive teams in baseball. And But I, I want to bring up you know, Dansby. I know not, he's an easy target, I guess, for the fans who will never fully appreciate him on any level. But, uh, you know, when you could juxtapose him with like an Alex Dickerson who's, you know, hitting under 100, but he's putting balls in play, they're hard hit. Uh, I, what is kind of your, your thought there on, on Dansby that you could say, yeah, he's a pro, he'll turn it around, but – He's on pace for 250 strikeouts. I mean, you're striking out nearly half the time you come to the plate. Are you surprised he hasn't at least had a day off just to sit? I know you had one yesterday, but I mean, come to the ballpark, don't worry about it, and just kind of get a mental reset. I mean, because that's unproductive to a T, right? I mean, you're not helping anybody out. Yeah, I mean, he struck out in every game this year at least once, and he has five multiple strikeout games. You know, I wonder... And, you know, we'll never know, obviously, but with Austin Riley missing Wednesday's series finale in Los Angeles due to the birth of his son, I wonder if Austin Riley had been in the lineup if Dancy Swanson would have been sitting on the bench on Wednesday. Because I know a lot of times, you know, it's that, hey, let's give this guy a day off, the final day of the road trip, then you fly home, you have an idle day the next day. And it's 
really a 48-hour reset. And the Braves are off Monday, so Dansby's in the lineup tonight. If he struggles tonight and tomorrow, then I wouldn't be at all surprised if when they play the Marlins in the series finale Sunday afternoon, if Orlando R.C. started shortstop and Dansby takes the day off. He had the, he had the two-double game on Saturday in San Diego. He scored a run. You know, it looked like the swing was getting a little better, and then he followed that up, you know, by going, you know, one for his next 14 with six strikeouts. It may just be a situation where, and again, not looking for excuses per se, but you, you got to try to figure out something. Maybe he's a guy who needed maybe another week of spring training or another week and a half of, of, of Grapefruit League games, games on the backfield, tracking pitches and so forth. You know, but the bottom line is, you know, the kid from Marietta, he's in a walk year, the final year of his deal, and certainly the Braves need him to get going because he's hot and he's cold, but when he's hot, he can kind of carry this offense on his own. And when you got that guy hitting eighth, hitting ninth in your lineup with, you know, with the designated hitter now, I mean, that, that's, that's a really good thing to turn the lineup over to those guys in the front. The Braves need to get him going. If he doesn't hit well the next couple games, then I would think it's a pretty good bet he's going to get Sunday off just to try to clear his head a little bit. Yeah, I mean that's a uh, that's a horrendous rate at the major league level to be uh, to be striking out. But did want to uh, switch gears on you a little bit uh, as we chat with Bud Ellis. The pitching, uh, where has been your thought on kind of the pitching? I think the bullpen actually has been okay, but uh, when the starting pitching has been bad, then obviously the night shift and all of the the arms you've collected are, are kind of irrelevant at that point. Where where do you see this pitching staff uh, right now? And is it something that uh, you know you've already made a couple of moves? Is it going to just like the hitting should improve over time? Where do you see this this group? Yeah, I mean, I think so. I mean, remember, Charlie Morton got off to a little bit of a slow start last year as well. And I don't think there's any lingering effects from the broken leg that he suffered in the World Series. I just think he just had, you know, he had a clunker of a start to kick off the road trip in San Diego. And then, you know, he he got victimized by two or three bad pitches in Los Angeles but didn't pitch bad at all. You know, Wascar Yona maybe like Swanson as a guy who would have benefited from another 10 days to two weeks on normal spring training, if you will. And I think the Braves did a world of good by going ahead and kind of pulling the plug temporarily, sending him down to Gwinnett so he can get his mechanics ironed out. I'll tell you the two things that I'm really bullish about as far as the rotation goes. You know, outside of Max Freed, who was sensational the other night in Los Angeles, Ian Anderson looked so much better Saturday at San Diego. The changeup was much better. His fastball command still appears to be coming around. I was at his first start against Cincinnati on opening weekend. And he, too, looked like a guy that could have benefited from another start or two in, in Florida. I think he only had six innings of Grapefruit League action. But Ian Anderson looked much more like himself. And i got to tell you, Kyle Wright, the way he pitched in Game 4 of the World Series, I was fortunate enough to be at that game. And I told my son walking out of the ballpark that night, I said, I wonder if this is the pivot point for Kyle. And what we've seen is a totally different pitcher totally different conviction on the mound you know he's throwing his curveball 33 percent of the time that's up from 14 percent a year ago he's not relying as much on the four seamer he's mixing in a change up 17 percent of the time which is almost three times as often as he showed the change a year ago and he just looks like a guy that is now very comfortable with his pitch mix very comfortable with his approach and i tell you what i'm excited to watch kyle wright pitch tonight because it's only two starts, right? But if you go back and you compare and contrast to the blips that we've seen from Kyle Wright since he made his debut in 2018, he looks like a totally different pitcher now than he did even the couple times that he got the start last year before he got sent down. 
Yeah, the, uh, the the pitching I think has been uh, pretty good. It should uh, should come around, and but obviously we're just you know barely a couple of weeks into this thing uh, for the Braves. I know people like to to fly off the handle, but how much of that have you seen in Snitker? Where it's like he kind of has that Bobby Cox mantra of, yeah, guys are struggling. This isn't going well, but it's you know they understand when it's time to. Uh, I guess, push the button, so to speak, and it's still uh, very, very early. I saw you a couple of days ago say, look, it's the equivalent of the fourth quarter of game one in the National Football League of a 17-game schedule. Like, it's going to be okay. Yeah, exactly. I mean, you, you, you know, what you've played right now, 14 games of a 162-game schedule would be roughly the equivalent of early third quarter of game two of that 17-game schedule, right? And, and I'll just tell Braves fans who – might have a little bit of trepidation about the start that they gotten off to. And I could cite chapter and verse of, of years that I've lived through where the Braves got off to a slow start and everything turned out fine, 1992, 1996, 18, 19, whatever. But let me just put it to you like this, okay? The Braves are 6-8, and eight, okay? you got to figure there's a couple games in that stretch that really could have went either way. If the Braves win those games, this is, this is how dangerous these small sample sizes can be. Instead of being six and eight, you would be eight and six. Eight and six is a five seventy one winning percentage. Over the course of hundred and sixty two games, that's ninety two and a half wins. I picked this team to win ninety three games and win the National League East. I think over time they will be just fine. It's just gonna take a little bit of time for a couple of these pieces to get going. And like I said at the top, it's a very good opportunity to do that over the next six games at Truist Park. Surely is. Bud Ellis, our guest here on 3 Now. Bud, always a pleasure. Have a great weekend. Thanks much. Thanks, Kev. Take care. Appreciate it. Bud Ellis joining us here on 3 Now. We'll come back with more all across the Southern Pigskin Radio Network. Good to have you back here, three and out on this Friday. Kevin Thomas, Ben Troop, glad you're making us a part of your day as we stream live ESPNCoastal.com. Draft coming up next week, and certainly uh, come Monday, Ben, it's going to be all about who's got the number one pick. It's the Jags. What do they do, and how does it kind of set up for the remainder of the draft? And uh, Trent Baalke says they got four guys in mind. I think most people think it's Aiden Hutchinson, Trayvon Walker, or one of the two tackles, Aquanu or Evan Neal. Uh, I mean, I guess he could pull a wild card. Uh, who knows? But it seems like he really likes Trayvon Walker. Common wisdom is saying it's Aiden Hutchinson. Looks like most people think the Jags are going defense. Yeah, I think they're going to go defense, Kevin. I think when you look at what this young Jazz team is trying to do, they're trying to build a foundation from the inside out, which is what you're supposed to do. Doug Peterson, I mean, I know he's the head coach, and I know he's supposed to trust what the front office does, but he was like, look, I won a Super Bowl, and I mean, from what I've seen with Trent Balky, I mean, Trent Balky is like a family member, Kevin. You don't really get to pick him. You just got to live <laughs> with him. Trent Baalke is unstable as hell. You don't know what Trent Baalke going to do. I mean, Trent, I mean, think about this. The, the, I mean, the PR department, go, Trent, just go out there and say, we got a couple of guys we're looking at. We got four guys. Did we tell you to get them a number? <laughs> but I will say this, though. The one thing about the NFL draft, Kevin, that's, that never ceases to amaze is it still has that prestige, right? Like, think about it. We don't got no dog in this fight. But we be like, we, we still be looking, ooh, they got him. Like, <laughs> as if to say, like, oh, I thought they were going to get – it's like, because we have our we, we have our expectation of what we think a team is going to do. Obviously, we have a vested interest in the, the eighth pick in the draft because we cover them, grew up watching them, you know, our root for them. But, Kevin, it's going to be crazy, man. Georgia yeah. is obviously going to dominate uh, the first two, three rounds. How many wide receivers are going to go? 
how many quarterbacks are going to go, who's going to be that wild card pick. In 2019, I was blessed enough to go back to Nashville myself, BJ, Richie, for the draft. And I remember this. The two draft picks, no, the three draft picks that stood out. Cleveland Farrell went number four overall out of Clemson. We were like, what? Daniel Jones went number six overall to, to, uh, to the Giants. We were like, what? And, and the Atlanta Falcons drafted two offensive linemen in the first round. They drafted two of them. And they still need a D lineman right now. You know what you know what else they need? I don't an offensive lineman. So, <laughs> so, so all I'm saying is That's a perpetual is, need for everybody in the league, though. I mean, to be yes, fair. I, I will say this. The top ten in the National Football League is about is the is must see TV. I mean, these guys Look, the fakest love you're ever going to see is going to happen on Thursday. Why? Because you got a bunch of 20-something-year-olds walking out hugging Roger Goodell. Fake, fake, <laughs> fake. But I think they got to do it. Hey, who knows, Kevin? If I would have got drafted, I would have hugged Paul Tagliabue. I mean, I don't know who started that trend, but, hey, man, he was like, look, I ain't got no beef with Roger Goodell, but wait till you get in the league and you yeah. <laughs> and you start to realize what Roger Goodell really can do. But the draft is next week. I'm looking forward to it, Kevin. We already starting our draft coverage, but come Monday, it's going to be, listen, every, my draft, 2.0, 3.0, 4.0, they're going to be coming out. But listen to the draft, the day before the draft, to kind of give you the best barometer of where guys should land. Yeah, and again, Falcons are going to have choices uh, there at eight. We talked uh, about how tradable eight is. Uh, again, how much disparity is there between the number eight pick and the number 15 pick uh, at the end of the day? Uh, be interesting to see. But uh, if I'm Atlanta, again, you and I have been talking about moving back to set up. You know, kind of one of those those moves you talk about, move back to set up for the 2023 draft, where there's obviously a whole lot of quarterbacks that should be coming out uh, in the draft that people are at least right now high on uh, in, in their abilities. Or do you, if you have to stick, where do you go? Because, uh, Ben, I mean, you could be sitting in the war room going, who do you like? Who do you like? I mean, like literally four or five guys uh, could be sitting there. I would be interesting. Uh, most people say go defense. Uh, for Atlanta, but if one of those tackles is sitting there, are you going to pass? I mean, people think Evan Neal is a 10, 12-year starter at tackle. You going to pass on that? Knowing that offensive line is a problem? Even if he's not playing left tackle, if you put him at right tackle, you going to pass and, 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 and go somewhere else? I mean, I, I, like there's, there's some really interesting options, I think, for Atlanta here uh, in a draft. Like if a certain guy falls to where you thought they would be gone already, do you, do you, do you try to trade out still? Do you pass? Uh, and, and go somewhere else. I mean, offensive line maybe not may not be need number one, but then I kind of look at offensive line anymore like pitching in Major League Baseball. Do you think you have enough offensive linemen? Go get another one. Go get another one because somebody's going to go down and get hurt. So yeah. I, I'm interested to see yeah. if the Falcons if 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 that's the story of the draft of who the Falcons passed on rather than you know they move back. I think that'll be kind of telling. But uh, again, I think Atlanta has options. I'm still hoping slide back. And set up for 2023, put yourself in a position to maybe have two first rounders. So if you if Marcus Mariota is the guy that is good enough to win you games and keep you out of the top six or seven picks, that you have that leverage to move back up in and, and get the quarterback you want and need, quite frankly, but get the quarterback you want in the draft next year if there's not just a free agent that that blows you away. And I'd rather go with the hey, give me a guy starting from scratch. Let's try to see what we can do. And, and maybe he turns into that next. 10, 12-year guy at quarterback. Yeah, but Kevin, I I think the one thing, too, that we're not saying when you talk about the Falcons is you draft for two reasons. You draft for need and best available. I think I think whoever they get is going to be both. 
I think no matter who they get, it's gonna be whoa. I, unless it's just if it's a running back, and you know, I, I do love my running backs. I'm not Kevin. I love y'all. No, not in the first round. No, I'm not doing. But you're not, but you're not going number eight. I'm sorry, but I, I will say they need a, they need a receiver. They need a quarter. I mean, they need a, they, they can use a quarterback. I'm not they saying they do it, but would you be surprised if they take Malik Willis? Like again, can he pick it? I'm not. Ta- I don't know if there's any other quarterback. I would take, and I really would pass on Malik Willis because I think next year's crop, uh, on the whole, you have a couple options. So if you don't get the number one, number two is still pretty good. But I, I, I don't see a quarterback that's saving my franchise in, the, in this draft. I, I don't either, Kevin, but this is the thing, right? This is the thing. In 2023, right? I get that's supposed to be the, you know, the Bryce Young season. I get it. They're not saving franchises either. Like, they're going to be really, really good for years to come. I think the Joe Burrow effect got people going crazy. Or Lamar Jackson got people going crazy. Or, or Dak Prescott. Like, look, these are diamond, these are diamond dozen type players. But I will say, if they get Malik Willis, Kevin, I think about this. They get Malik Willis. Marcus Mariota is still going to start. Malik Willis is going to be, oh, let's get the young. They're going to want him to get in because of where he got drafted and the position he plays. But who's to say that? Marcus Mariota can't go out there and give you quality starts. Like, as long as they're not losing because of Marcus Mariota, you don't take him out. You don't take him out. But you know, just like I know, Kevin, if a if a quarterback goes top 10, the probability of him not – he's going to get out yeah. there. Look at all the rest of them. Justin Fields didn't go top 10. He still got out there. You look at – you know, you look at – you know, you look at Mac Jones, still got out there. I think there. Trey Lance was really the only one that never really yeah. got, got out there at the end of the day yeah, for a whole lot me, of play which time. Which to me is embarrassing. Which to me is embarrassing. I mean, I'm sorry. Listen, Jimmy Garoppolo, I'm, come on now. Like, and, and that's another thing, too, uh, Kevin. When you start thinking about these quarterbacks, Malik and Malik Willis and Sam Howell and Kenny Pickett and Matt Corral, look, you know how easy it is to talk about how a player ended up and say, oh, we want one of those. Yeah, that's based off what he's done already, not what he's gonna do. It's a projection. Great that they're doing the um the draft in Vegas because that's what the draft is, people. It's a crapshoot. We don't know what we got. <laughs> we really, really don't, right? Like we don't. Well, listen, Kevin, think about this. Listen, what do they say? Listen, the house always wins, right? You're not gonna beat Vegas, but you still go and you say to yourself, "All right, I got three hundred dollars. I'm not gonna <laughs> spend all three hundred. Like I'm not. I'm not bringing my wallet. I'm bringing cash, buddy. Next thing you know, hey man, what happened? Man, I'm down a thousand. Yeah, where's that ATM? <laughs> Listen, at the end of the day, you know, you walk in by yourself. You walk out with people escort you, sir. Do not come back. <laughs> all right, well, cool. Can I at least get my stuff out of the room? So I'm just saying, at the end of the day, the greatest crap shoot there is in a in, uh, in uh, pro sports is the NFL draft. We will be locked in. That top ten will definitely more than meet expectations. Yeah, I think so. And again, I'm I'm just I think the Falcons are fascinating in the spot they're in. They can take anybody. They can move back, and I wouldn't be mad at them uh, if they did that. Uh, to me, I, I, and I get what you're saying, Ben, about well, next year's quarterbacks aren't going to come in and, and light it up. But I, I I think the the probability of getting one next year is better than than this year. I, I think Kenny yeah. Pickett could yeah. be. I mean, Kenny Pickett might have an eight year career and throw less than a hundred balls. Uh, you know, that, that's kind of what I see. Can he pick? He's one of those guys like you You think down, you know, seven, eight years from now, they're like, and backing up for the New York Jets, Kenny Pickett, and you're like, he's still in the league? And yeah, he's made a great paycheck, but never probably is going to be a long-term starter. I, I, I kind of see that with a lot of guys in this class, maybe not as much in next year's class, and that's why if I'm Atlanta, it, it, and that's a dangerous game to play, I get it. Let me get the next year's crop. Let me get the next year's crop. 
but I feel like the depth of what is perceived at the quarterback position, you will have options. Looking at this class, most people think Malik Willis, then a drop-off, then maybe Kenny Pickett, another guy, and and that it gets to career backup after that. Uh, So you don't have a lot to decide from, and I would address other areas of my team and hope that I can you know, leverage my way back into the top five and and take a quarterback in next year's draft. I know that's a dangerous game to play, but I think I'm willing to play it uh, given where the Falcons are currently. Yeah, Kevin, number one, if you're going to be getting a guy, you'll be getting guys like Bryce Young and those guys next year, that means your team stunk it up in 2022. But again, if you have the two, it, that's why I'm advocating train back. Even if yeah. Marcus Mariota overachieves and you go, you know, the fan base in the industry, oh, man, we won seven games. We were 7-10 and 10 with Marcus Mariota. Why couldn't we have just lost a few more? Well, if you have two first-rounders, if you were able to trade back, then you could use that to leverage your way back up into a, a more favorable draft position to get a quarterback. Uh, that would help you out next year, as opposed to if it, if it just plays out where you draft straight through uh, this go-round. You might have to give up a lot to move up to quarter if you don't have that yeah. kind of stuff to uh, to deal with. Yeah, Kevin, and you know, I mean, you know, if any, if, whoever gets number one and number two or the top three picks next year, you're going to have to come with a lot to get the, uh, to upseat those guys to get in that position because you know them quarterbacks going one, two, three, or whatever, in whatever order. But I think if you Terry Fontenot, go show why you left New Orleans to come to Atlanta. Go show why you helped build one organization. I can show you how I can rebuild another one. But, Kevin, I do agree. If you know there's going to be a rebuild yet, Maybe even next year, let's let's move back, get picks, and hopefully try to utilize that to try to get the, the quarterback you coveted, you know, because I think at the end of the day, Atlanta isn't going any – listen, Marcus Mariota, love you, man. Got to love you. I don't, I don't want to <laughs> – well, I've had to love you. Well, I've had to love you twice because you was with my Titans. Now you're with my Falcons. But when you was with my Titans, you was a young whippersnapper, man. You know, I think you might have a couple of grades <laughs> up there now, man, from the stress. Not necessarily from your age, but I just think, Kevin, I think you said it. You you want Marcus Mariota to be good, but not too good. You don't want no eight and nines. It sounds so bad to say. It's like, hey, man, I I appreciate what you're doing, but hey, we don't need to win eight games. I mean, come on. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Being okay, being okay in the NFL gets you nothing these days. Like, well, I mean, unless you're on the ascension, there's. I mean, I think if you win seven, eight games, obviously you will have overachieved a little bit. You're not, and that will be one of those where. You know, you see teams do that. We're like, hey, we won eight games. We're really close. No, no, no. Some things fell your way, and it looks like you're really close, and you're not. And that's where I don't want the Falcons to fall into. I want, again, I don't want them to be just got awful terrible. But, I mean, I I want them to be in a position to leverage their way to get the quarterback next season when you're going to have more than maybe one or two to, to really look at as a franchise-type quarterback. And I don't even know if there's two in this year's draft that are legit franchise quarterbacks. we got more to come. Get you ready for the Braves and the Marlins coming up in about 14 minutes. This is 3 and Out on the Southern Pigskin Radio Network. Good to have you back here on this Friday. Kevin Thomas, Ben Troop, glad you're making us a part of your day. And, Ben, we got the Braves and Marlins coming up. You got Kyle Wright, 1-0, 164 ERA against Trevor Rogers, 12-15 ERA, a chance to get the bats a-going. It's been a minute. Then we got to get more than two or three guys going. It's time to get right, Kevin. Listen, we, we this ain't the time to be trying to hold back. I know Mr. BJ Bennett say don't waste runs. Waste them, waste them. Go out there and try to get 10 of them, Kevin, because this is about confidence, right? This is a confidence booster. This is bigger than just getting back into the win column. A lot of guys 
Hey, man, it's affecting your mental right now, and I get it. I've never been a baseball player just because I've been a pro athlete. I, I think baseball might be the hardest there is because you can judge every at-bat, you know, I mean, every inning. But I do think, Kevin, get back to your winning ways. Try to pad, try to pad them stats against these pesky Marlins who are not going to walk, go away quietly into the night. Yeah, and again, you got some teams that, I mean, the Padres and, and Dodgers are two teams that are looking at playoff aspirations of their own. Uh, you kind of get to take a step back here with the Marlins and Cubs, who I uh, Marlins are better, probably not as good as the Braves and Phillies and Mets, and certainly the Cubs are in the middle of a little bit of a uh, of a rebuild. So you got some chances to get a little momentum going. I hope they uh, hope they do it, and again get Matt Olson some help. I I, I just can't continue to say enough about what he's meant, but uh, you, you got to have more than two or three guys consistently doing it. And it's been. Two or three guys and not much from anybody else. It would be one thing it was kind of a smattering through the lineup, but it's been two or three guys doing everything and nothing from uh, from most of the rest of the guys in that lineup. And that can't continue. And hope they, uh, again, home crowd back at home after an emotional road trip, you get it back together. I don't want to see nothing about no rings being given out of the rings here. I don't do it. I don't want to see it. And, Kevin, look, beat the teams you're better than. Win the series you're supposed to win. Straight up. And again, uh, I think Jorge Soler gets his ring on Saturday. So that's the only one. He's on the other team now uh, with the Marlins. So hopefully it won't be as big a to-do as it was uh, for seven days of partying there in Atlanta. That's going to do it for us here on this Friday. Appreciate Bud Ellis joining us. Also, Darren Heitner join us uh, for Troop Talk. And Kyer Elam, uh, former Gator, back in hour number one, getting ready for the NFL draft. Ben, have a wonderful weekend, sir. We'll talk to you on Monday. Draft week will be upon us. Looking forward to uh, to that. If you missed any portion of the show, ESPNCoastal.com. Go to our YouTube channel, at ESPNCoastal on YouTube. Give us a, a like and a subscribe, and you'll know when we go live every day. See you Monday here on 3 and Out.